Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this special episode of Tech Move, where we are going to kind of ask you to suspend uh, a little belief here. And Mm -hmm. um, we are kind of, uh, uh, well, let's just face it. Everyone knows who's a Tech Move subscriber, listener, that sometimes uh, we put out things a little later than we should. Yeah. Uh, and this is no different, but we mm-hmm. want to surprise you because this is uh, there's a lot of good material in here still, and we want to revisit Cinegear 2017. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Keith, as you well know, Cinegear happened back in what June of this year, something yeah. like that, er- early June, early, early June. June. Yeah. So we're a few mm-hmm. months from when that show. Uh, concluded, yeah, and uh, due to various uh, uh, situations and stuff, <laughs> we're only able to bring it to you right now. Yeah. Uh, so we'd like to uh, uh, give you a, a shot, still, folks, to listen to some of these great interviews that uh, Keith was able to get while being yep. uh, uh, our man on the street. And uh, there's a lot of great information, even though it's a a, a few months old. It's it I is. think it's still very relevant, wouldn't you say, Keith? I would say it's very relevant because there there are three uh, interviews in in this episode. Uh, one of them is for the Canon C200, so it's with Canon, right? And that's and, and, very... and, and that was being just introduced at that show. Is that correct? It was actually like a month before it was even shipping. So there's still in somewhat prototype mode. Okay, right. And it's only just shipping in very small quantities now. I actually got, I actually bought one. Okay, so I bought one like. Oh, a you got a C200. I got a C200 a couple months ago. I think I got one of the first ones available on the planet. Excellent. You know, um, and I just, well, I'll give you my full review later, but I absolutely love it. It's like the best. It's it's by far the best camera I've ever owned. Oh, is that it's, right? It's really? really amazing. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, I just shot some real stuff with it recently, and it's just like a dream. It's just so easy to use, and it, the image is just light years above anything else. I've so forget the Sony uh, nah, A7Ss, stuff. A7Rs, forget all that crap. It's really C200. Yeah, just a short review. It, it, if I'm not like su- want to go super, super portable, right. then, yeah, then I'm going to use the C200 for everything I can. Mm-hmm. Whether in the MP4 mode, which is a super compressed mode, 150 megabits, or the the CFast uh, raw mode, which just gives superlative Arri Alexa like quality, um, it's either of those, and then all the features, the autofocus, the the image quality, the look of the image, just the the feel and look of the, the just how c- cinematic it is, just just it just it's like better than any camera out there right now, even wow. more expensive ones. Wow. Yeah, so I think so. So that's my own personal opinion. Okay. Um, okay. So that so it was about that camera, and I kind of fell in love with it that day. But a lot of there are a lot of other announcements. For example, the Panasonic EVA one, which still is not out. Right. Um, it uh, it it was pre-announced, and they were saying it's going to come out you know, by the end of the year or by fall. So now it's fall. Uh, it's like officially fall now during the recording of this little intro, and it's still really not out. They've done some pre-release footage, and it's not great. So, oh know, really? See, yeah, it doesn't. It's not impressing people. People don't know why it's inconsistent. So, so we'll have to, you know, jury's out there. Maybe by our next episode, we'll have more of a review. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, so it's still relevant because that camera's not really out yet. Um, and then another thing, the other item is the Aperture um, um, Lightstorm LS three hundred, which is the super bright light, and that's not even out yet. 
it's almost now now when i went to um amsterdam which is going to be in, a, in our future episode uh coming out soon the amsterdam um show ibc i did interview aperture there and they were just shipping it to their dealers at the time like starting to just ship that way to the dealers so it's going to be out very very soon that that's very exciting so none of this stuff is really out except for the c200 so it's all still super relevant great yeah oh that's tremendous great yeah. fantastic okay uh-huh. well so so then all is not lost when no. uh, listening to tech move so no. That's 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 fabulous. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we still are cutting edge, no matter what you say. <laughs> no matter what the reviews are, we're still cutting edge. All right. Well, uh, then, uh, you know, let, let's not waste any more time. Let's get to the uh, to the episode. Let's get to the interviews. Let's get to the announcements and stuff like that. And uh, and we'll let things roll. How does that sound? Sounds great. Fantastic. Okay, so here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Here is Cinegear 2017 on Tech Move. Coming to you from high atop our studios in the San Francisco Bay Area, you're listening to Tech Move. This is episode 39. Today's show centers around the Cinegear Expo 2017 in Los Angeles, California. I'm Rod Louie, and with me is Keith Moreau. Get ready. It's time for another exciting episode of Tech Move. Let's go! like to welcome all of you to Tech Move, where it is hosted by Rod Louie, as well as the great Keith Moreau. Keith, how are you today? Very good, Rod. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, you know, especially excited because, uh, you know, we just wrapped up uh, NAB 2017, and mm. now we're moving directly into Cinegear 2017. Uh, mm. of which this particular episode is going to be dedicated to everything Cinegear and the Expo of 2017. And um, Keith, I want to thank you for all the hard work that you put into uh, getting all of our material together. Oh, you're welcome, Rod. Yeah. It's my, it's my pleasure. Now, uh, this year, uh, I, I and I think in past years too, in Los Angeles, and uh, I think this happened in June, if if I'm not correct. I mean, we're kind of recording yep. this a little bit late. Yeah, uh, early June. Early June. Early June. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, how, uh, you know, and we'll kind of talk about this in our wrap-up session, but what were you expecting? You know, coming off of NAB, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you see a lot of stuff at NAB. How in the world are you going to be surprised with anything that happens at Cinegear? You know, unfortunately, it always happens after the big show. And, you know, uh, Cinegear's, you know, not that far off from NAB. You know, the thing is, is that uh, NAB is like, it's for everything related to broadcasting. 
Okay. And there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that's kind of filmmaking stuff like or interested in, but there's also just maybe like four fifths of it is something else, if not more. Um, and it's and you can kind of get lost in the noise. I mean, that's just kind of the issue with every, you know, being an artist or being a successful company or whatever. You kind of you can get lost in the noise sometimes. Yep. And so, but Cinegear is just for cinematography gear. Ah, uh, so much more specialized type of thing for us. What we're really interested in. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, I feel like, in a way, Cinegear is it's just a much much smaller show, but it's kind of cool because it's first of all it's in Paramount Studios, so it's really cool just being in these sets. And then, and then sometimes you'll get these these manufacturers that actually wait for Cinegear to announce stuff. So, in fact, two of the three interviews I did were brand brand new announcements announced at Cinegear. And oh, they're fantastic. Major, yeah, they were major announcements. And, and and were not announced at NAB or anything like that. No, not even well the Panasonic one was kind of hinted at. Yeah. But but the actual the the actual unveiling happened happened at Cinegear and then the C200 was not even hinted at. The the Canon C200. So that was that truly was completely unveiled and and demoable at at Cinegear. Well, look so, at that. Look, look yeah. at that, ladies and gentlemen. Tech move again on the cutting edge of uh, all this <laughs> uh, new information, uh, even though we deliver it to you years after the fact. But that's okay. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's great. And, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of it, you know, like you said, it kind of happens on the Paramount lot and stuff like that. Is any of it indoors or is it mostly outdoors? Uh, it's a combination of indoors and outdoors. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, I guess I would say maybe the majority is outdoors, but there's a lot of indoor ones too. Like a lot of, a lot of the indoor ones were lighting because that makes more sense to be indoors. Yeah. Uh, for lighting. It's just hard to demonstrate lighting sometimes outside. Sure. But, but, um, and then just, I don't know, vendors here and there are outside or inside. It was kind of random. Canon seems to always be outside. Um, and then other companies like Panasonic and Sony seem to want to be inside. So, uh, but I kind of, you know, the, it gets a little hot outside in the sun. Absolutely. Um, but it's nice sometimes, um, to be outside and then inside's a little, it's a little claustrophobic sometimes with all this just, it's kind of like NAB, but, but like kind of darker. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it's not, it's not bad. Either 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 situation is is fine. It's it's all fun. It's all cinematography gear. You have a lot of Hollywood people around, which is really cool. And um, and I really, you know, I re- actually I really like that show. So far, that's my favorite my favorite show. Well, and, and that's very interesting that you say that because you know uh, uh, what I wanted to find out was that okay, you know, Tech Move is always at NAB. It's always at Cinegear. Uh, do you notice that the big manufacturers uh, either you know rent booths bigger for NAB or Cinegear, but they about the same? You know, what what what's your kind of take on that? Uh, you know, how do the manufacturers treat both shows? Um, I think that they know that when they're at Cinegear, they're getting a lot of a lot of professionals there that are in the industry. So there's a little bit more of a Hollywood vibe mm. at, at, at Cinegear. Cool. Yeah. At NAB, it's more like maybe a little bit more technical and 
geekier. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, I think there's just a lot more Hollywood industry people right there. So that's cool. Anyway. No, that's yeah. great. No, yeah. uh, 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 is how many days? How many days is that? It's it's really it's just like a couple a, of days. It's right? really just three? a couple of days. Yeah, they have they have a bunch of special events before and after, mm-hmm. but the actual exhibition is only really two days. And so it's, it's like very Friday, concentrated, Friday. which is good. It's very kind. It's not this drawn out thing and and stuff. You guys spend a week at a time, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, the people that are there, it seems like the vendors are not so burned out on the second day, right? Like as as opposed to the fourth or fifth day at NAB. Yeah, yeah. that's what I would think. Yeah, and and it goes a little, and it ends a little bit earlier, and yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And then there's other things to do that if you want to go to some of the events. I went, I didn't go to any special events this year, but last year I went to a couple special events put on by the cinema, the ASC, the American Society of Cinematographers, which was pretty cool. This year I didn't get a chance to do that, but great. Anyway, no, yeah. I think I think I think that's uh, that's fantastic. Well, yeah. you know, we've got uh, some very exciting. Um, interviews to bring you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Keith was able to secure uh, uh, quite a few people uh, at mm-hmm. Cinegear, and mm-hmm. we have a lot of nice uh, breaking news for you uh, that I think you will all be interested in. So why don't we do this, Keith? Why don't we take our first break, and we will reset the, the tapes here, and uh, we will roll on with our first interview uh, that you were able to conduct uh, at this year's expo. How does that sound? Sounds great. Fantastic. Let us, uh, we're going to take a quick break and we are going to return with our first interview uh, from Cinegear 2017 right here on Tech Move. Well, it's Rod and Keith on our coverage of Cinegear, the Expo 2017. And uh, Keith was able to get a terrific interview uh, with a guy we've talked to before uh, on this podcast, but not not in this same. Uh, I think he's had he had a, another job before uh, before he got this one. And this is with Mitch Gross of Panasonic. He's the cinema product manager for Panasonic, and uh, Keith was able to land a uh, pretty good interview. Uh, with Mitch, tell us a little bit about your interview and how you got him. Yeah, so I was I was looking for actually just the Panasonic booth, and uh, some so in Cinegear, there's a lot of stuff that's outside, and then there's quite a bit of stuff that's inside inside the sound the sound stages. And <laughs> oh, I well, my might I have to do a tracheotomy on you right there? Sorry, <clears throat> sorry, saliva. <laughs> <clears throat> sound stage is, is apparently a very dangerous word <laughs> in the in the recording industry. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, they, they have these huge sta- sound stages, and there's usually like the lighting stuffs in there because it, it doesn't it doesn't make that much sense to do lighting stuff outside. Although there were a few other a few lighting companies, and actually one that that I interviewed uh, that was outside, and that makes sense because of the partic- particular product that they were selling. But anyway. So looked around, tried to find Panasonic, eventually found them inside one of the sound stages, you know, among everything else. And they didn't have a super huge uh, booth, but uh, they did have the EVA-1 there. And, that, and the EVA-1 is the camera, and it's still it's still not released yet. It's still kind of in the semi-production like production stage. Like, they're probably starting to 
ramp up their factories to produce them now. But so th- even at the time of this recording that we're making right now, it is not out there available to the world at this moment? No, there's nobody that that even, I don't think even has a sample uh, demo version of it or early version of it. Oh, wow. Okay. I think it's still like, like in fact, one of the, like one of the people, not me, but one of the other people that inter- interviewed him was saying that they wouldn't, they wouldn't let him like hold it from the, the handle grip on, on the right side. Oh. Because it was like not bolted on with the <laughs> right it, bolts or something. Because it's probably put on with like scotch tape or something. Yeah, it was probably they probably used some some duct tape to keep that on and, right. and looking good. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Wow. Or some crazy glue. Wow, but, but which is not going to be in the final product. It's going to be right. They're probably going to invest in at least gorilla glue. Yeah, they're going to use better better temporary glue for that. Excellent. But uh, <laughs> so that that's an example. Um, and and I guess I should have, but I didn't ask Mitch if I could hold it. Uh, I guess some other people did. Mm. But uh, oh, so the person that was, and I show up there and I see this guy that I've interviewed like five times for for Tech Move, but I interviewed him previously for Convergent Design, mm-hmm. and so that was kind of odd. But um, I waited a little while because there was somebody else that was interviewing him, and I waited for them to finish, and finally they finished, and finally got to Mitch, and he was obviously really pooped because I think he had just been saying saying the same spiel for like 50, uh, 50 times in the last, you know, hour or so. <laughs> and he was just, he's really good though. He's really, really good. He's there. He's really an asset to, to Panasonic. He's a, he's a great, he speaks really well. He's very technical, very technical. Like he, you can tell that he really knows his stuff, right. which is not true of a lot of marketing project representatives um, for different companies. I mean, some are really, really great. Like so- Sony's are really good and, there's been a few others, but some some of them, they're more like marketing people that don't necessarily know all the insides of the gear. Right. But Mitch seems to really know it. Um, I think because he has a film filmmaking background, and and also he's probably geeky. Yeah. But um, anyway, waited a long time to find. I finally got him. Said, "Hey, you know, hi." And he said, "Oh, hi." And he actually recognized me because because um, I've actually pointed out some of our shows to him, and he's actually thanked me for you know he's played them back. Um, uh, his the recordings we made of him in the past and and so we have a little relationship <clears throat> anyway got him to give me the whole spiel about this kind of amazing new uh super thirty five camera from panasonic that's so, fantastic yeah. and, and uh okay so why don't we do this keith let's roll the interview yeah and then we'll talk about the e v a one uh afterwards as we always like to do mm-hmm. and uh we will get uh, your thoughts on what you saw. We'll get your thoughts on what Mitch Gross had to say, and we will expound upon it a little bit more. So let's roll that interview. Here's Mitch Gross, uh, the cinema project manager of Panasonic, along with our very own Keith Moreau of Tech Move. Hi, this is Keith Moreau for Tech Move Podcast. We've got Mitch Gross of Panasonic here to talk about his new camera. Yep, this is the EVA-1. The EVA-1 has a Super 35 sensor, and that is not a 4K sensor. It's actually beyond 4K. 5.7K resolution on this sensor. Why would he have a 5.7K resolution sensor? Well, it when you shoot at a higher resolution to then go to a lower resolution of recording, you get a better lower resolution recording because you have more information you're starting with. It's called super sampling or subsampling. You get 
greater detail in it. So you get a better resolving 4K. You'll have more visible resolution in the image. We'll do 4K up to 60 frames a second. We'll do 2K up to 240 frames per second. And it also means there's more samples of red and green and blue. So we'll have better color fidelity in the image as well. The, uh, the, the camera comes out in the fall and then there'll be a firmware update that's gonna come some months later. When that firmware update comes, it'll have the ability for the SDI port to output a raw data signal of that 5.7K to go to third-party recorders. Atomos has already announced that they're gonna support that. So we're gonna have a 5.7K output available to another recorder if you want. But you'll have internal recording of 4K up to 60 frames a second, 2K, 240. You'll be able to do 10-bit 422, and you'll also, it's recording to SDXC cards, inexpensive little small cards. You'll be able to do a recording format that will go up to 400 megabits per second. It's a really rich format. So when you use like V-Log and V-Gamut, you'll be able to take advantage of the full range of uh, what that image is and manipulate that to really get a rich image. It's pretty awesome. Um, so how many slot, SD slots? There's two slots so that you'll be able to, you know, span from one to card to another, long continuous records. Or you could possibly uh, mirror them, so you get a little. I'm not, I don't know if we have mirroring as a function or not. That's something I got to ask the engineers. I'm not sure, but I know that we'll be able to do spanning. Um, what and so we've got full 4K or UHD on the internal recording. We have both as options. You can have the full DCI 4096, or you could have a UHD 3840. Before the firmware comes out, what's the bitrate? Well, on the internal recording, the bitrate is going to be up to 400 megabits per second. We'll have this camera fits neatly in our product line between the GH5 and the Vericam LT. On both those cameras, you have multiple recording formats that you can choose to use. And so uh, you'll have that as well on here. You'll have different things that you can record based on the type of work you're doing and what is appropriate for that. So, but up to 400 megabits per second. And I noticed you have a different mount on this. This is an EF lens mount. Now we have done EF lens mount before. The Vericam LT comes with an EF lens mount that you can then swap out and uh, field swappable to a PL mount. This, that is a big, solid, heavy mount, thick metal to really be supportive. We wanted to do a very lightweight, petite camera, and so we are native EF lens mount on here. That gives you the option of excellent uh, lenses from many manufacturers that uh, are quite petite and lightweight and very affordable for a high quality optics. We didn't want to beef up this camera too much because we didn't want to make it big and heavy. This is only 2.65 pounds, so it's very appropriate to have these lightweight, inexpensive lenses be able to work on it. How about ND? ND has built in two, four, and six stops, and that's just a little push button uh, up down here. And you also have another uh, filtration that is accessible on a, on, on a menu in here, and that is going to be our IR cut. Now, normally an IR cut filter just is mounted hard in front of the, the sensor and it just stays there all the time. That You don't have IR contaminating your, uh, your image. What we did is make it so you can swing that in and out, and then you're able to do that sort of special look IR photography. You can do night vision type shooting and actually extend into the night further with, with your sensitivity. You can also do in daytime photography, get those kind of funky artistic colors of the weird things happening when you have the infrared light coming into your sensor. So that is just something, you know, it's a, it's a look. It's something we have available on the camera at a push of a button.
I see. So normally the IR cut filter is in, and for special situations you'll take it out. Right. That you, you take it out of the way, and then you can also, for an extreme look, there's uh, filters that you can just buy that will go in the front of your lens. That would be a visible light filter, which basically only lets light only lets the IR light in. And then you take the IR cut filter out of the way, and basically you're just flooding your sensor with nothing but IR light, and you get a really cool, wild kind of looking image out of that. So tell me about the sensor that's in here. The sensor is 5.7K, and it is Super 35. It's an all-new sensor that we've designed for this camera. It's based on things we've learned from our previous technology, the Vericam sensors, which are gorgeous sensors, but very difficult and expensive to manufacture. We have this new sensor where we've learned a lot from those sensors so that it's going to be able to work on here. One of the features that we built that is intrinsic to the sensor design is something called dual native ISO. Now, dual native ISO is exclusive to Panasonic and it only, up until now, has been available on the Vericams. It's also going to be on EVA1. There is the way you normally, by all the manufacturers, take a signal and see the signal off of a, uh, off the sensor. That's our standard ISO rating. But then we have a special path. It's a, a, a proprietary way that's, it's, it's fundamentally a different way to look at the sensor and get the information off the camera sensor. And what it does is that you end up get, getting more light off of the, the sensor, you know, greater sensitivity without any raise in noise, without any change in the dynamic range. It's, there's no penalty that you pay, you just get greater sensitivity. So it's like switching film stocks on your camera. You know, any camera can gain up. You can just increase the sensitivity on it, but you'll get more noise and you'll lose dynamic range and it'll just affect what the image looks like. We don't have that with the dual native ISO. On either ISO level, you can apply gain. We have that available on here, and just like we have it on the other cameras, and you'll see the effect of it. But you can just switch to a different native ISO and then you have increased sensitivity. You don't want it all the time. If you're in bright daytime outdoors, you want a camera that's not so sensitive to light, you have to, you know, too much light coming in, but it's great to be able to switch between them so that you can shoot in either really, really low light levels, like, you know, nighttime exteriors in available light, or maybe you want to shoot at a lower light level and still be able to use a zoom lens, or be able to shoot night times and be able to uh, stop down your lens so that you have a greater depth of field for you know effect. You don't always want to use a super fast prime lens in order to just get your exposure. It gives you flexibility for the way you might want to work. So for example, suppose I put a really strong ND on the front and switched it to the high ISO mode. Would there be any difference in image quality between that and the normal ISO mode without the ND? No difference. You're going to have, you, like I said, you have an increase in sensitivity without a payment in some other factor. You know, you're not increasing noise, you're not in, uh, limiting your dynamic range, you're not affecting the signal path in anything other than getting more sensitivity out of it. So on the Vericams, the two uh, ISO points are 800 and 5000 ISO. It's 2.6 stops of, uh, of uh, increase in sensitivity. On the EVA-1, we're not giving those numbers out yet, 
that'll be closer to the release. And the reason is because it's not that we don't know what we can do. We have targets that we wanted to hit, and we hit those targets, but we believe that we can do a little more processing, a little tweaking to the signal, and be able to get even a little bit more out of it. And if I told you X right now, and then it turned out to be X plus one later on, nobody's going to remember X plus one. They're going to be stuck thinking it's X. So that's why we want to just wait until we know exactly how much we're going to get out of it, and then that's what we're going to let everyone know. That's a pretty amazing feature. When I saw that on the Vericams, I thought that was pretty impressive. So how do you guys do it? It is a proprietary process that really, it, it has to be inherent in the design of the sensor itself. And that's why it was a heck of a thing designing and developing the Vericam sensors. And they are beautiful, but it's very expensive, difficult to manufacture those sensors. We took what we learned in figuring out how to do it on those sensors to make this new sensor, the 5.7K sensor, and it has that same special processing path built into the sensor, but we're now able to do it on a camera that we're able to sell for under $8,000. That's pretty amazing. So last time when I was at NAB, I saw what I think is this camera under a veil. Yes. We literally unveiled our camera. We pulled it out of a, ba out of a backpack, but yes, we unveiled the camera. Where's the veil now? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, there might be a, maybe another manufacturer is wearing it over their head as a widow. I don't know. Uh, this is, we're going to have to find out where this veil is. We're going to have to be searching this booth somewhere. Anyway, so much. Uh, thank you so much for, for showing us this amazing new camera. I was actually pretty excited about this when I saw this today. I actually saw it today. I just didn't have a chance to look at the news yesterday and did some other stuff here. But uh, thank you so much for showing us this. Your, thank you for letting us show Your uh, description of the capabilities, are, it, it seems like an amazing camera. I can't wait until till it comes out. Yeah, it's something that we're very proud of. You know, there's, we wanted to sort of sneak out the information a little, you know, just basically a preview to let people know. We did it with the, when the GH5, uh, we first announced it last year at Photokina, and we mentioned like four or five different kind of features it's going to have, but we're saying it's six months away and you're going to get information when it comes out. And some people were kind of upset with the idea that we were only telling a little inf information until on time, six months later, there was the camera with all of that stuff and way, way more, and there were, everyone was so thrilled and happy with it. And we're like, all right, well, we're going to give a little bit more information, but we didn't, you know, this time around. But we still are, we're saying we're just previewing it. We're just going to give you an idea of where we're going, what the direction is happening here. And uh, it sort of turned into a, something, you know, like it got some excitement going and stuff. And we were like, you know, we want people to be excited about our camera, but we wouldn't do this. We wouldn't start talking about it if we didn't believe we had the meat behind it, that we didn't have you know, some real substance of a camera that we think people are going to be very, very happy with. And we think people are happy with what they've heard so far, and we think we're going to be even more happy when they see what the finished camera is all about. Excellent. Thanks so much, Mitch. Thank you. Keith Moreau signing off for TechMove. Well, there you have it. It's Mitch Gross, the cinema project uh, product manager for Panasonic, mm -hmm. and our very own Keith Moreau right here on Tech Move and the Tech Move exclusive interview <laughs> with regards to the EVA One. I'm sure exclusive in the sense of for that particular time period at that particular moment uh, on the showroom floor, because it sounds as if uh, he had been talking everybody's ear off about the EVA one. Yes. I had him exclusively for the time of my interview. Right. 
So that was exclusive. <laughs> that was exclusive. And he gave us his <laughs> undivided attention, which was very kind of him. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so, Keith, EVA1. Yes. Uh, it's a... Um, it's a good sized camera. I'll tell you that much. I'm looking at pictures of it right now. You know, we, we uh, and folks, let's also remind our listening audience that you can uh, uh, check out the links to the video uh, on techmovepodcast.com, uh, where all this audio is coming from, and check out Keith and his interview with Mitch and uh, taking a look at the EVA one. Uh, so, Keith, w- w- what were your thoughts about you know? The camera itself, features that they're uh, promoting, so on and so forth. Well, it's actually, it's a pretty darn amazing camera if the specs lead to all the great things that it can do when it's really out there. Um, it's probably not going to come out until, I would say, November. This is, this is These are my thoughts on it. I mean, I'm not, <clears throat> I can't predict the future, and I don't know. Panasonic's track record, I think, is okay for when they <clears throat> when they announce something and then later they release it like they did pretty well with the GH5 yeah like they were almost they said in 6 months we're going to release this and they actually were selling them in 6 months yeah so they kind of did the same thing here they're going to but they didn't they weren't that specific they said fall they said fall so i mean fall could be as late as november right correct so <clears throat> but um so here's the thing it so it's not a micro four thirds camera like you'd expect Panasonic. Wow, it's you know their market, but it's not. I kind of thought it. I really thought it would be, you know. Yeah. So it's not micro four thirds, and there's a reason for that. Uh, it's just the mount. There's a couple. Those are a couple things. First of all, there's just not that many micro four thirds lenses out there. Yep. So I know you, even I, I, which is so amazing, right? After all the years that the micro four thirds has been out here. No, it's it's you're just not getting it, which is yeah, kind of weird. And then and then most of the people that are that are kind of in the you know one man band or small indies, they they've they started in the five the five D era, you know the the five D Mark II era maybe, right. or they've just kind of gotten cameras that are Canon EOS uh, Canon EF based, and so they have a lot of EF lenses. You know, and there's a lot of pretty pretty nice EF lenses out there, and then they're they're relatively good deals compared to say the Sony lenses, right? <clears throat> um, and then you can get all these adapters for them. So a lot of people are getting EF lenses and then getting adapters to go to the Sony's or the Micro Four Thirds anyway. Yep. But they start out with the Canon lenses. Like that's something you might do when you get your Sony or whatever you get right in the future. Um, and I've done that. I have very few Sony native lenses. I have maybe like five or something. Right. And I've got like... Because there's only five out there, really. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's really not a whole heck of a lot of them out there. Yeah. They, they're starting to be more, um, but they have some disadvantages and some advantages. But um, but there's just tons of Canon lenses and there's all these third-party manufacturers of Canon lenses, Canon uh, fitting lenses as well. Yeah. So I have like maybe 30 uh, Canon lenses, of either full frame or or uh, crop sensor type lenses. So <clears throat> so it makes perfect sense for somebody like me, and I think there's a lot of people like me out there that just have this, it's like, it's a no-brainer because you can just stick the stick the lens right onto the camera. You don't have to have an adapter or anything like that. Right. <clears throat> there's some maybe disadvantages to that over an e-mount because then you don't have even the option of putting a speed booster on. Um, so... A speed booster is not going to work on this EVA one. 
this this Panasonic camera. It, is, is that because the you said because that's a, a, of the mount? Yeah, because it's a native EF mount. Okay, gotcha. So yeah, so they're just there's just no way to to make that work with a speed booster. The 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 mount has to be something where the flange distance is much shallower than a Canon lens than a Canon camera. Right. But that's not the case with this. In this case, it's just exactly like a Canon camera. So. So it's kind of good and bad. Good is you don't have to have this extra inch and a quarter piece of metal in between your lens and the thing. So it's everything shorter. You you don't have to have this extra complexity, but then you can't use speed boosters if you want. Okay, so that's an advantage and disadvantage. Um, but as far as the um, some of the other specs go, I would say the one thing that's probably, and it's not even proven, but the one thing that's the claim to fame of this camera is that it has the same similar technology to the Vericams, which is actually um, a famous uh, cinema camera that's produced by Panasonic. So Vericams are used on movies. Okay. Okay. Veric- the Vericam line is kind of similar to the Cine Alta line in Sony. It's it's like their movie cameras, and so they're consequently pretty expensive. Right. Um. They're they're meant for high end. You know, like they're they're competing with Aries and other high end cameras and Reds and stuff. Right. So. Um, this the sensor that's in this new EVA one, which is darn small. It's a it's approximately the size of the SF FS five. Okay, so it's very similar in size to the Sony FS five. Like if you just put them side by side, you kind of think they're the same camera, except that the EVA one has this horrible red stripe around it. That's <laughs> kind of like I don't know, kind of reminds me of I don't know Speed Racer or something. <laughs> something right. like let's just put some red nail polish around the edge. <laughs> Make make it look cool. Yeah. Let's put a racing stripe. Let's on it. rebrand it with Ferrari on it, and <laughs> we'll put a red racing stripe down it. You won't believe how many comments uh, I've seen about the red stripe. I'm sure not good ones either. I'm <laughs> most sure of them are pretty. Good. Yeah, most of them are quite negative. Right. But, <laughs> but it's really funny because nobody complains about the red stripe on the super high end Canon L glass, which is their, you know, that's their their brand marker. Right. It's the red stripe type lens which means it's a really expensive lens but anyway um i guess i think it's maybe the way that it was used on the eva one that people are complaining about but i i guess it's okay i mean it's mainly the camera not how it looks right so Uh, no it's kind of how it looks too (laughs) which is really important okay getting (laughs) yeah you're right it's all about looks but it's all about looks yeah uh but getting back um it actually other than that it looks pretty standard it's not it's not um extremely attractive and it's not extremely ugly you know i think it'll i think it'll work i think it might fit your sense of style i i but, actually like it I, th- I thought it looked pretty good it's just really big you know well actually it, it it's not that big it seems big but it's not it seems big only because of all the you know doodads that are hanging off of it yeah but it's actually if you just forget about whatever else you see on it and just take the body itself. Right. It's, oh, it's, th- th- yeah. Just then a, a nice size box. Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's a smallish box. Like mm-hmm. it's way smaller than the FS seven, for example. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, <clears throat> and it, and, and because you don't have to put that EF to E mount adapter on the front, then if you put a lens on it, it's still smaller than say I, my FS five would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cause I can just slap that EF lens around right the front. I don't have to put this extra thing in front. And then right. it's probably a little bit sturdier because of that. Right. Um, anyway, I, for me, the big the big thing, say, over an FS7 is the fact that it has this dual um, ISO sensor on it. So the ISO, the sensor has 
I don't know exactly what the technology is, but somehow they've gotten their sensor to be to have two native ISOs. Um, so one native ISO is 800, which is fairly insensitive. You know, it's kind of like GH4 level sensitivity. Oh, okay. Okay. <clears throat> and then the next ISO is undetermined, but it's probably going to be three to five thousand, or maybe thirty-two hundred to five thousand. They haven't said they haven't said it's going to be exactly what that is, but it's going to be high. Oh wow! It's going to be high, and so then that becomes the native ISO in that mode. So it's actually if if it turns out to be as good as the Vericam LT, which is eight hundred and five thousand. Mm-hmm. Apparently that's magical. Like you, when you put it to the 5000 mode, it's just as noiseless as the 800 mode, except it's way more sensitive. Oh wow. Yeah. So you've got a, it's a kind of a A7S type of noise level in at that 5000 or maybe even better, maybe even better. So that part makes it an extremely tantalizing camera. That it it sounds pretty attractive. Yeah. Yeah, and so that part is pretty cool if they can pull it off and have the noise level and everything that 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 is similar to the Vericam LT mm-hmm. that could that could make it a, a a pretty good sale. Um it's also got pretty interesting um recording and codec capabilities. Um it's going to it's going to be able to record to two SD cards so you don't have to use expensive media. But it's also going to be able to record at pretty high bit rates to those cards. So something up upwards of 400 megabits per second to wow. these SD cards. So that that puts you into the ProRes level of recording. Yeah. Um I don't think they record ProRes. I think they use some type of their own proprietary codec, but it's it's basically just a uh, um an inter uh, sorry an intra frame codec. So it's all each frame is compressed on its own. It's not a long up codec for the for the high bit rate. It's actually similar to the to the codec that's going to be used on the GH5 uh, with an upcoming update. So um, so they're kind of using similar codecs to the GH5. But it, another thing, it's got 422-10-bit uh, internal recording at that. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of good things, a lot of good possibilities uh, for this camera for kind of the low, slightly lower-end cinema users. Does it... Uh, uh, are you intrigued by it? Does it kind of uh, uh, move your thermometer a little bit? It kind of does. It's not like one of those cameras where you, it comes out or even is it just announced and you just say this is the one. Right. There's no doubt about it. When this starts, when this is put on the market, I will buy it. Right. It's not exactly in that category yet. I think, and probably, unfairly so, because I think from a spec point of view, it's pretty. It's pretty darn nice. It's not that cheap. It's going to be, well, they say under eight thousand dollars. So they don't even haven't even set the price yet. Oh wow! But I, but I'm thinking it'll be about eight thousand. Right. So that puts it kind of that puts it in the FS7 range. Yeah. So, and the FS7 has probably more advantages than the than this camera, but it, the FS7 is way bigger and heavier. So, and it uses more expensive media, and it's probably not as light sensitive. So, it, it may have maybe slightly better technology than the FS7, but then there's some other some drawbacks possibly, um, such as the fact that it's um, you know, has the maybe has the e the e ef mount and not the e mount is it maybe an advantage or disadvantage depending on how you look at it. Um, and also, it's not really proven. It's Panasonic. You know, it it doesn't really have a track record for this type of camera. It's kind of like very very newish type of camera. Yeah, it's like um, a new territory Panasonic is venturing into. 
kind of new. One other thing that, that possibly could, could also be its claim to fame, it has a 5.7K um, sensor, which means it, the sensor, the amount of pixels in it are mm-hmm. way above 4K output. You know, so 4K output is like 4,000 or so pixels across, you know, wide. Right. But this actually is five five point seven thousand pixels across, like fifty seven hundred pixels across. So when and they and they shrink it down to four K in the camera with processing. Mm-hmm. And so when, you know how when you have a bigger amount of pixels and you shrink it down, things get sharper. Yep. It's kind of, that's kind of what's going on with this this sensor. So that so it could potentially have one of the more one of the sharper 4K images out there. Oh, so, nice. yeah, so if all those things come together and it has good battery life and and it has a reliable recording um and and mainly 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 if the image looks really good, it could possibly be a a, a very a very nice and exciting camera. So, uh it will have to make its way to the showroom floor before we start uh, getting too overly excited about it. Yeah, and I th- I have a feeling that they probably will have working copies or maybe even be selling it by the time that IBC comes out. IBC is the European version of NAB. Okay. And actually, TechMove is going to be there. Really? <laughs> yes. Wonderful. So yeah. so we'll be able to put out our IBC episodes right around the 2018 NAB show. <laughs> Would that would that be about accurate? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, excellent. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah it's actually going to be in Amsterdam. Oh, so that's what, great that's where place. Yeah, great place. Yeah. Wonderful. So, well, when we get closer, though, we'll probably have a pre-IBC show. Okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, are Are we anticipating? Uh, uh, hopefully, the uh, oh, a working version of the EVA one and other things. Yeah, I think there's going to be quite a few new either announcements or working demos or even things being sold there okay so yeah i'm pretty sure the eva one is going to be shown there well we'll uh we'll get there when we get there yeah yeah so you know keep keep your check checkbooks kind of kind of halfway out pens slightly you know uncapped maybe for this one for the eva one because it it, it could it could be fantastic if they deliver on all the specs Keith Moreau is saying that this could be a very interesting consideration here. It's it's definitely in the top five. <laughs> very good. <laughs> top five cameras. Yeah. Well, that could that and, and you know what's also going to be a dictator is uh, price. I'm sure, which which is going to be a big thing. So that, yeah, yeah. But if it if it has superb imagery, yeah. Um, the price, even the eight thousand dollar price, is not uh, unheard of. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll just have to see. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yep. Great. Well, uh, again, our thanks to Mitch Gross over at Panasonic for showing us the EVA1. Mm-hmm. And my personal thanks to Keith Moreau for capturing him and uh, not releasing him so that he could give us great content on uh, our little show <laughs> here. So thank you, Keith, for that. Yep. Yep. Great. Let's, uh, uh, let's take a break and we will come back more uh, with more stuff from Cinegear. Uh, 2017 and we'll come back with a couple more uh, interviews that we have here you stay tuned we'll be right back with more tech news
we're able to have a representative from Canon uh, that Keith was able to uh, secure on our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2017. Keith was able to get Alex Sachs. Uh, he's the pro market representative of Canon USA. And uh, Keith was, uh, I think he's a, a, a little bit excited about a new product reveal that Canon has. Uh, Keith, tell us a little bit more about what you saw at Cinegear. So this was uh, one of the major announcements at, at Cinegear. And it's one of the major announcements for Canon uh, cinema cameras for quite some time. I think it was like two years ago when they announced the C. 300 Mark II, and they haven't really come out with a another cinema camera. Well, they came out with the C700 a few months ago, but they haven't come out with a kind of a realistic, kind of lower-priced uh, cinema camera for a while. So they announced the, the C200. And so the C200 kind of makes sense, because it kind of goes in between the C100 and the C300 Mark II. Um, and it's a kind of a brand new camera. Love the form factor. It's it's a slightly heavier than the C100 Mark II and then slightly lighter than the C300 Mark II. Actually, significant light, significantly lighter. Um, it's fairly compact, and the layout, it's kind of like they started, they kind of learned a bunch from the, the previous cameras. Um, one of the things about the, the, the Canon C-Series is they would have too much stuff on the top handle. Like, they'd have all this, like, they'd have the LCD on the top handle, they'd have the, the XLR inputs on the top handle, They'd have, you know, extra buttons for, you know, your cuisine art on the top handle. And (laughs) 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 all kinds of extra, too much stuff. And, and it's consequently the Canon cameras started getting really, really high. Like, like you could be holding them and then you could walk through a doorway and you'd clip off the top of your camera. Oh, so so it's getting (laughs) a little too big, huh? A little, a little too high up there. So. They kind of refine the design. They have a little bit less stuff up there. They still have the LCD, which is on an, a really nice um, swivelly thing, and then they have XLRs in the back instead of back on the body instead of on the on the handle. Anyway, uh, I was really intrigued with this. I found this great guy there, Alex Sachs. He probably the one of the best uh, cinema camera interviews I've 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 had with with pretty much any representative. Um, and just and on our pre-interview was awesome too, and then even post it was just we talked about so much stuff. The guy knew a lot, and he was fairly honest. And I'll talk a little bit about some of the things that he thought would happen in the future with this camera as well. Fantastic, fantastic. So, well, hey, let's uh, not waste any more time. Let's learn more about the new Canon C two hundred with Alex Sachs of Canon USA and our own very our very own Keith Moreau. Uh, recorded live at Cinegear 2017. Let's listen to that interview right now. Hi, this is Keith Merrill here with Tech Move Podcast. We're here with Alex Sachs of Canon. He's going to talk to us a little bit about this brand new, amazing new Canon camera. Hey, Alex. Hi. How's it going today? Uh, it's great. It's hot, but really exciting. Tell me about this camera. So this is the C200, a uh, really revolutionary camera in the sense that Canon has finally brought raw recording 
to internal CFAST uh, media. So really, really incredible proprietary system that Canon has developed that reduces the raw file up to a fifth of the size without losing any quality. So really, really revolutionary feature set inside of a $7,500 camera. So really, really exciting. This is kind of the beginning of bringing RAW to a more uh, mass market price point and um, a manipulation in terms of computer. You can, you, you can manipulate this RAW on a out-of-the-box MacBook Pro with a USB 3 drive, which is something that you really couldn't do with our, our original RAW format. And so my, my take is that you take the original uh, RAW files from the CFast card uh, and then you ingest them into uh, Mac or PC, right? Um, and then you transcode it to some other format? Or how, how is that going to work? So we will have some NLEs supporting our RAW format. DaVinci and Avid are going to support it at the launch. And we're going to work with the other NLEs to hopefully um, get their support. But before that happens, or if somebody doesn't want to edit the RAW, you can use our software, which is completely free, to transcode the raw footage into a several different formats. The main one being Apple ProRes 444. So at the end of the day, if you shoot the raw, you could convert these to 4K 12-bit ProRes 444 files. So that could end up being your master. If you don't want the raw, you just want to get the best image quality out of here and have some flexibility in post. That's what I think a lot of our customers are going to do. You can also output to DPX or OpenEXR if you're going to do ASUS workflow. So you have a lot of different things you can do, and you can change the white balance. You can add uh, exposure if you need to. There's a lot of really nice uh, freeing things when you shoot RAW. It's a free software. You download it from our website, and it runs on Mac or PC. So it's really simple to use. Um, you can go in. You can kind of change the color. Um, add, add, you could change the log if you want to do log 2 or log 3, uh, 709, or if you just want to create a look in camera and that could become your master. Because a lot of times we'd have customers who know that this uh, certain people are not going to be um, transcoding or, or not going to be color grading, sorry. So they don't want to shoot in a non, you know, in a log or, or in a YDR or something, but they want the freedom to have that later. So what's been exciting is this type of workflow could be shooting log and then giving it a little grade in that transcode and then just handing it off to your uh, customer. Wow, that sounds pretty cool. So um, so these files, what, what's the dynamic range on these files? So if you use the raw work, uh, raw light workflow, you get up to 15 stops of dynamic range. Uh, but that means you have to process it through our log two uh, codec, which we or gamma, which we don't actually have inside of this camera, but you can process it in our software and turn it into a log too. Because it's raw, there's nothing that's really happening. It's just metadata tags a lot of times. Now, just from a monitoring point of view, do we have the ability to monitor the just the look of it and, and put LUTs in things like that? Yes, there is uh, the ability to ha use our LUTs. You can't put your own LUTs into our cameras. Um, none of our Cinema EOS systems allow that, but we do have 709, we have support for HDR LUTs as well, ASIS, things like that, so the traditional 709, you know, whatever, you know, is common on set. If you want any kind of custom LUT, you'd have to use a third-party product for that. So, I'm, I'm personally very interested in this. I've been, I've been uh, lusting after the C300 Mark II for a while, ever since it came out a couple of years ago, and when I saw this, is I was going... Now, why wouldn't I get this rather than the C300? So tell me about the differences between the C300 Mark II and this camera. Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, question. And, and the reason we have that gap, as I was talking about earlier, is that it keeps the life of the C300. So we have a lot of long-form content producers. So documentary, uh, TV broadcasts, news, things like that. They don't, they don't have a demand for a raw 
workflow. Maybe a special piece here or there, but they don't need a lot of that. They, their majority of the stuff they're doing, they just want something that's really good quality but easy to handle. That's where that C300 sits so perfectly. The C200, like the C100, has that 4208-bit codec. So it's a little more processed, a little more con um, condensed. But, you know, again, Canon does a very good uh, job at processing. So our C100 was very, very popular, and it was only 24 megabits per second. So, and it was 4208-bit. So it's one of those things where the spec wasn't really regarded, but everyone loved the image. And that's what I would say about this camera. The image inside of even the 4208-bit looks absolutely incredible. And now we are offering a 4K UHD inside of it in that MP4. So if you're doing a lot of long-form stuff, I would still pick excuse me, the C300 or C300 Mark II. But if you're looking to do something more of the scripted, rehearsed, where you're gonna, you, you demand the highest quality image, I think this is the camera that's going to deliver it for you. That's pretty awesome. Um, so now sensor-wise, tell me about the sensor and tell me if potentially this, the look coming out of this, if you do all the processing and post-production, if this could actually rival something like the C300 Mark II or the, even the C700. So the sensor is very similar to our other Cinema EOS products, but I always try to remind people that there's three main things in an image. The sensor, the processor, and the lens. So we have different processors and, and amount of processors in all of our products, and that's the real way to differentiate them. It's just like a computer that can handle more information. So you're going to get more accurate tonal reproduction in our higher-end products because there's more horsepower inside of them. Technically, they are cut from a very similar wafer in terms of the sensor, but everything around that is, I mean, because you can take that off the sensor, but then you have to turn it into something. That's really what, that's the, the, the main part of it. So that's everything is the processing. So we do have a very similar one, but we have two new processors inside of this camera. So in terms of matching other cameras, absolutely. In terms of being superior, it's really hard to judge that. It's more along the lines of, if you go through our raw light workflow, it's going to be the least amount of processing. So you're free to kind of do whatever you need from it, and you're also free to kind of pull those colors a little bit more. Sorry. So, so say as an independent uh, cinematographer or filmmaker who wants to get the best possible look and then wants to devote the time to record to these fast CFast cards, which probably don't hold that much, um, what about... What's the capacity of this typically? So again, it's a very large format. And I always am telling people that if you're going to do the raw light, it's because your image is your priority. It means you want the best image. So it's going to be a very large file. So to put it in terms of numbers, the 64 gigabyte CFast card is going to give you eight minutes of 4K raw light at 4K60 or 4K2398 or 2997. Now, it's a little variable. We, we do a variable bit rate inside of these cameras. So some, if you're shooting a white wall, it does, it's not as processor intensive. But if you have a lot of different colors, like your shirt and maybe like six other people with patterns, there's a lot more of that bit rate kind of pulling. So you're going to get about eight minutes for 64 gig cards. So I, I tell people to treat it like a, a film magazine. If you're from the film days, it's usually like three and a half minutes you got on a film mag, 400-foot roll. So what you were changing a lot more often, and we see this a lot on larger sets as well, they're changing the media as often as possible, usually every four to eight minutes, because if you lose a card with like an hour on it, you've lost a whole day sometimes. So they're in the habit of switching. So that's really what it's gonna be. More media and switching out. It's a, it's a little more expensive, but those prices are gonna come down because we don't make that media. You know, other companies make that media and they're gonna compete and those prices are gonna come down. Okay, so eight minutes per 64 uh, gigs, 
some popular cards are in the 256 gigs, so that's eight times four, 20, 24 or maybe more minutes. So that's that's not bad. You know, it's not bad if you're thinking about what you're getting out of this camera and that you could handle it right now on your MacBook Pro. You could do a DIT yourself. I'm not suggesting that that's the best way to do it. I'm just saying we have a lot of customers that just use a laptop and a USB 3 hard drive. So we wanted to know, will it work for them? And we tested it, and it really is able to be processed. It takes time, so you'll have to plan that in. But if I was the kind of shooter that wanted to deliver 4K 12-bit ProRes to a client, I would shoot this and just say, I need a couple days to process it, and I'll process it for you, and I'll deliver that on a hard drive for you in the next two days. I could do that. I just need uh, the right amount of storage and, and a MacBook Pro or a PC. Wow. Okay. So, and then another thing for me personally is the dual pixel autofocus capabilities, some of the touchscreen uh, capabilities. Maybe you could just briefly talk about that. Absolutely. So we put dual pixel autofocus into this camera. We had it in our C100 and our C100 Mark II, or not in our C100, but our C100 Mark II. And it was limited to the center box and certain lenses gave you face detection. In the C300 Mark II, we opened it up to 80% of the sensor, and you could move the box wherever you want. So really, really powerful stuff, and face recognition. We put that same technology into the C200. So we have a new touchscreen LCD. You can just touch the focus. It's very, very simple to do. Um, and it's a really nice tool to use. We don't want anyone to think that autofocus is going to like take all these AC's jobs. or it's, it's really a specific tool set. If I was somebody shooting an interview on a 70 to 200, and I have face detection on this, I'm, why wouldn't I use it? You know, it lets you not have to sit there on the lens the whole time. So I pick and choose when I use it. If I'm on a gimbal or a Movi or a Dolly, it's a nice tool, you know? But if I want that organic focus look, I switch it into manual and I go full manual. So it, again, it's I look at it like a specialty screwdriver or a hammer. You know, I want the right tool for the right shot, essentially. Okay, um, autofocus, we covered that. Um, how about NDs and other uh, time-saving sure. issues? Yeah, so the Cinema Series is built for motion. So we have built-in NDs, we have waveform monitoring, we have programmable buttons, everything that kind of takes those pain points out of shooting video with a DSLR mirrorless camera because those cameras are really engineered for still, um, but they make great video. You know, it's one of those things where you have to just deal with kind of the limitations of it. The C-Series have all been optimized for motion. So we've, we tried to take all the pain points out of shooting with the internal XLRs, the NDs, the waveform, uh, nice compression codecs so that you can record for longer periods of time. So things like that where you don't have a lot of wires you know, coming out of it. So it's got all those nice little pieces. This, to me, sits, it's perfectly named because it sits so nicely between the 100 and the 300. Yes, it's really, I'm, I'm really, now I'm starting to lust after this camera a little bit. Um, Okay, let's see. We talked about, oh, upgrades. I know that they've advertised there's going to be some X, XAVC uh, upgrades. Right now it doesn't support XAVC, but it no. might in the future. Yeah, XAVC is going to be coming to this camera uh, in the CFast slot. So it's going to be one of those things where you're going to have a choice of codecs. You'll have the 4K RAW Lite, the MP4, and the XAVC. And that just is going to open up certain workflows if you have other Cinema EOS cameras, because that XAVC is Canon's codec. So if you have a C300, 
a Mark II and a C700 and you bring this in, now all the cameras are speaking the same language while you're shooting as opposed to the transcoding process. So, Can you talk about the quality of the uh, codec? Yeah, they haven't actually confirmed uh, what it's going to be, but my instinct is it's just going to be a 4208-bit. It's just going to be a, another flavor choice. It's not as if it's going to be an upgrade, but we don't, we don't know as, as of this point. They just told us that it is coming in the middle of next year. 2018, yeah. And my little crystal ball is saying right at about that time they're going to upgrade the C300 Mark II to probably have even more features, some of the features that this, this also offers. I hope so, but they haven't mentioned anything like that. Um, we, we have communicated that the customer has asked for that, but in terms of future products, they're very, very secretive in terms of what they tell, even internally. So um, we all have heard from the customers that they want that, um, but nothing has been confirmed yet or announced. Okay, well, well, we'll look for that in the future. When is this coming out? Uh, we'll be shipping in August, so a couple months from now. I can't wait. I might be getting this, folks. So, um, anything else that I might have missed? Um, well, I just want to talk about this 4K raw light because I think that Canon has done something really revolutionary. That light terminology makes it seem like it's like the Diet Coke of the original Coke. It's actually a much more optimized version of raw. It's a, a way to make it smaller without losing the quality. So that's something I wanted to kind of stress in a lot of the things I've told customers is that this is finally a more accessible raw. This is raw for all, or raw as I've been saying. Um, because we finally have an accessible RAW that a, a single operator user can process. So once we start doing that, that's when I think we're going to have this explosion of RAW shooting, you know, because everyone will be able to edit it. And then at some point, you know, even iPads and iPhones and stuff may have the capability to read Canon's proprietary RAW. So I really hope that this is the beginning of the future codec for Canon. Uh, it sounds great. Um, just talking about the raw uh, codec again, it's compressed raw. So does that mean it's lossless? Um, it's not compressed raw. Uh, Tell me about it. Yeah, essentially what it is when you have raw, you're not doing, you're, you're doing very minimal processing or no processing. But the, the term raw is, is different amongst all the manufacturers. There is no real standard for raw. Like Simpty hasn't made a standard for it. So it's really manufacturer to manufacturer and how they define what raw actually is. That's, that's what's interesting about it. So Canon has defined it as a RMF file that we've had in our other raws in terms of the C300 Mark II, C500, and C700, um, where you got an individual frame for every, uh, individual file for every frame. So, you know, 24 frames per second, just like film. Now with the new raw light, We've turned it into a self-contained movie, similar to a MPEG-4 or MOV or something like that. So when you open the files on your computer, it's a list of clips as opposed to like thousands of files that are just single frames essentially, because that's what we were doing. That's what we're doing with our RMF file. So it is a, and this is really just what Canon has told us is it's a proprietary way of reducing the file size. But beyond that, they haven't told us any of the kind of secret how it's working. Okay, so if I were to just speculate then, best based on what you said, it's a long got version of RAW. I honestly have no idea, but I've never been able to take any kind of compressed file and process the white balance the way I did with our RAW light, where I could I process one clip at 2,000 white balance and one clip at 12,000, and they looked perfect. There was no loss in quality. So I don't, we're not doing any kind of processing inside of it. So in terms of it, that's why we've labeled it RAW. But I think we're calling it RAW light because it's a much um, more efficient version of our RAW file. 
I got you. So it's raw. It just takes up less space, but we're we're not losing anything. Yeah, you're losing nothing, and that's why we have that raw, and that's why the file size is so large. So again, it's for the image first customer. The person who's like, I want the highest quality image I can get out of this camera. And now you don't have to hack it the way you did with some of our other products and certain companies who are able to like pull the raw from our products. Canon has now created a bulletproof version of that, which to me, I always want to trust the manufacturer. They, We have a lot of very, very smart people developing these products. They know how to create something that's not going to fail. Well, I think we've nearly found the holy grail for, for Canon image. Um, of course, I have a whole laundry list of things I would like to be added to this, but uh, I guess you can only squeeze so much into a camera for a price point. I mean, 7,500. Now you're competing with all those lower-end cinema cinema cameras. And 6,000 for the B model. So we're gonna have two models: the C200, which will have all the accessories, uh, including the LCD, the grip, the handle, um, and then we're gonna have a B model that's gonna have no accessories and it's gonna have no built-on EVF. And it's going to be $1,500 cheaper, so it's going to be $6,000. But the camera body will be identical. The image will be identical, just no EVF or accessories. So if you like to build up the camera, that B camera might be right for you. Wow. This is pretty good. We were waiting a little while for a new announcement from Canon. It's been, a, I guess, two years maybe since the last big announcement of the C300 Mark, III, so, Mark II. So this is... Uh, this is a pretty pretty nice announcement. Well, we had the 700 last November. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We've had some other products, lenses and things like that. So, But this one with the raw light, especially for the cinema side, which is where I work, very, very exciting. Well, thanks so much, Alex. You've been great. Thank you for having me. Keith Moreau signing off for TechMove. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Alex Sachs of Canon USA, along with Keith Moreau on our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2017. Uh, C200, pretty impressive. Yeah, it's pretty impressive in a way. And I think it's just, again, it's going to be how good is the image? Yeah. And Philip, Philip Bloom actually just came out with a, a, a fairly nice review of it. Um, he actually, it was a little confusing to me because I think she shot most of it on the kind of built-in MP4 codec, which okay. is only 8-bit 420. Mm-hmm. But I he may have done some on the raw. Okay, so here's the thing. It's got two different ways of recording and really nothing in between. It's got a relatively low-end codec for recording. Like, it's actually similar to the C100 codec, um, but actually probably a much higher bit rate, uh, and it's 4K. Um, so you can record in 4K. Actually, you can record in a variety of flavors, um, but you can't really record internally 10-bit. Um with with the MP4 type recording, the H.264 codec, you can only record 8-bit. So that's kind of in this day and age, 8-bit versus 10. I mean, 8-bit is like five-year-old technology, right? <laughs> and right. and 10-bit is something that we're starting to see even like the GH4, GH5 actually. The GH5 actually has has 10-bit correct recording in 4K, which is pretty darn amazing. Right. So we're kind of expecting all the expensive cameras now to have 10-bit internal recording, and this one doesn't. Um, I don't think it's because it's not capable of it. I think it's actually probably technically and like processing-wise more advanced than the C300 Mark II because mm-hmm. it's like a th- three-year-old newer camera. Um, so, But I think they've kind of intentionally hobbled it. Um, 
you know, there might be firmware updates in the in the future that will make it a, a more fully featured camera and like more versatile and have more capabilities and be the camera that it, all the camera that it could be. Right. But I think they don't want to destroy their C300 Mark II uh, market or also also make all the three C300 Mark II owners super upset. Right. By coming out with a, a way better camera for a cheaper price. Right. <laughs> right. So so there's two ways of recording. One is this 150 megabits per second in, in UHD or 4K. I think it's UHD uh, recording, uh, which is still better than my FS5. Okay, so my S- FS5 will do 100. This is similar. Uh, FS5 and A7S and, and R2s are 100 megabits per second 4K. This will actually do uh, 150 megabits per second 4K. So it's 50% more data. So that's inherently better, but it's still 420 color and it's still 8-bit um, dynamic range or 8-bit 8-bit steps, um, you know, in luminosity. So it's still not not overly gradable. You know, the, those two things make it less gradable, less less able to fix it in post, so to say, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's got this other feature of raw internal raw recording on a CFast card. Oh. But the problem is that, that the internal raw recording is like one gigabit per second. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you're going from 150 megabits per second for the same size image, for the same you know 4K wide image, or really similar. And, uh, it, and you're jumping up you know seven times or whatever, six and a half times the data and, and, and recording on the CFast card internally. Uh, CFast two cards, and the thing is, is that okay? So that's basically, I think it's, I think it's like half an hour per two hundred fifty-six megabytes, something like something silly like that. Wow, yeah. So for a five hundred megabyte card, that's an hour. So that's a, that's, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Is what, it available would, now? Um, no, it is not available, but it it will probably be available pretty soon. This this camera is way more uh, ready for production than than the EVA one. Like okay. they have almost all the specs and they have physical cameras that you can actually shoot with. And I've seen tests online. Like for example, Philip Bloom just did a test and it was pretty good. He, he actually liked it a lot. He said he wouldn't, he wouldn't get it over his FS seven because he's already got one. And it's pretty similar. Mm-hmm. And he thinks the raw recording is kind of overblown because it just takes too, takes too much space up. Mm. But uh, the thing about raw recording is, you know, it's kind of what I, got into when i started doing 4k it starts blowing up your data right like you start having to buy hard drives one after the other and you become like hard drive you know retailer <laughs> you're, on your you're, own. you're like a, a you're like a data farm right it yes. is hard drive data farm hard drive data farm you start yeah. running out of space you can't right. walk down your hallways because they're you need your own your... campus <laughs> yes you've got hard drives stacked to the ceiling yes. you have this narrow corridor to walk through in your house <laughs> Yeah, it starts becoming kind of crazy. Right. So, <laughs> so I, but it's it's very very intriguing. In fact, this camera, just trying it out and stuff, actually kind of inspired me to get the uh, the Ursa Mini uh, that I got. Okay. Um, because I was saying, you know, I should just kind of see if there's any hope in raw recording, like if it even makes sense. Right. So, so that was kind of. I mean, I did, have done raw recording with the Odyssey. And the FS seven hundred and the FS five. Um, I don't find having this the big the big uh, 
seven to eight inch monitor recorder kind of around all the time is that convenient right or is it super convenient just to have a little card to to record raw yeah so i see this um i actually see the c200 as selling a lot to indies to indie filmmakers sure that do short takes that have like a real kind of studio setup uh-huh. but then what you know but then if you're in a studio then maybe you wouldn't really care if you had a a, a recorder hanging off your mm-hmm. fs700 or something right, so cause that can sit somewhere separately or something yeah yeah so but but still and the one another thing this camera has is amazing autofocus like it's got superb autofocus and it's got finger uh touch screen tracking so you could just click on an image uh, part of the image and it'll focus to that point so you could click in between two people and just focus that way terrific yeah or you could just kind of click on them you could click on them and then it could tell you if you're in focus you, you would, could still manually focus it wouldn't automatically do it, but it could tell you like which way to go and and you know in or out or you know it, it, it that part is is amazing and i love that part of the the camera and just as canon goes the images should be amazing right um and the images i've seen so far on the internet are not super amazing but you know just like anything like i felt kind of like things were some things were overly blown out like it was still kind of touchy in the upper upper reaches mm-hmm. um but i think i need to see more about it again this camera is like $7500 so it's not cheap um yeah not cheap when uh when, when you got this EVA1 hanging in the balance probably yes. they're, they're probably going to go right up with uh, against one another head to head probably i think they are and i think that canon got a little bit surprised by the EVA1 mm. like i think they were really bummed that the <laughs> EVA1 was announced sure because stole a little thunder yeah, I think they stole a little thunder, and also a lot of people are going to hold off on buying the C two two hundred. Yeah, right. They're going to say, ah, uh, you know, I'm going to see how the EVA one works because the the C two hundred isn't isn't that much of a no brainer where I can't wait a couple more months for the EVA one. Right. So yeah, I think that that's going to be happening. But the camera itself is superb. The ergonomics and the and the fit and f- finish, like it's way. Sorry, sorry, Panasonic, but the the uh, C200 is way more attractive to look at yeah. than, than, you know, and it doesn't have to have red paint on it or whatever. It's got <laughs> just kind of metally black, right. Matte right. black. Right. But, um, but, uh, yeah, but still image is king and, and, you know, we'll see how it comes out, uh, how they compare in the future. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, again, our thanks to Alex Sachs of Canon and uh, our thanks to Keith Moreau mm-hmm. of TechMove uh, with that uh, really big announcement of the new Canon C200 uh, available pretty soon, I'm going to guess. Hopefully pretty soon. Uh, yeah, probably in a month or so. Hopefully in a month or so. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Great. probably by the time this recording, this episode comes <laughs> right. out, it will have been out six months. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> that's great. <laughs> All right, uh, thank you, Keith, for that uh, fantastic report and that fantastic interview. Uh, we will Ryan. come back uh, with more of our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2017 right here on Tech Move. All right, gang, it is Rod Louie along with Keith Moreau right here on our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2017 right here on Tech Move. Mm-hmm. And uh Keith, we have a, another fantastic trio of individuals that are going to be talking with you. And these are the fine folks over at Aperture. 
And I'd like you to tell us a little bit about uh, the company Aperture uh, and what they're famous for. Well, right now, Aperture is famous for lighting. They're, they have some really great little lights, um, really good deals, but very high quality. Um, they cater to kind of the kind of the you know the predators, the the single maybe one man bands or small productions. So perfect for um, me. Perfect for you. Yeah. Good price. You know, kind of in your price range, maybe maybe a little high in some cases, but the the quality of the stuff is really really good. So um, yeah, so I I actually was very intrigued by them. Um, I'd seen a, quite a few of their um, YouTube uh, presentations and interviews. I didn't get a chance to do them at NAB, but I, I sought them out at uh, Cinegear, and they had a they had a booth outside, um, kind of in the sun, which is unusual <laughs> for a lighting company. Right, right. But but there's a reason for that because um, their lights are pretty darn bright, and we talk a little bit about that uh, during the interview. That's great, and yeah. you have the good fortune of speaking with uh, three. Uh, folks from Aperture, and uh, the yeah. first gentleman we're going to hear from is Mr. Ray Chang of Aperture. Yep, and yeah, he's like he's like the the engineering genius behind Aperture. Okay, so so yeah. he he he's he's uh he, he's kind of the tech of uh, of Aperture then, huh? Yep, he's the tech of Aperture. He's just like this mad genius who comes up with all these great things, and, and then the other people market them, and turn them into something you know that's saleable, and yeah, it's it's it was pretty cool to interview um, a few of their members, Ray, and then you're going to mention a couple other guys, right? Yeah, I'm going to mention uh, Neris Nasari, mm-hmm. uh, who is, uh, I, I don't know if he's an engineer or he's uh, one of their marketing guys or something like that. I think he's a marketing guy. Yeah. Fantastic. So yeah. Neris is with us. And mm-hmm. then a uh, in a longer part of the uh, of the interview, you get hold of a uh, Mr. Ted Sim, Right. And uh, you have a uh, quite an extensive uh, interview with him. Yeah, he's great. I, I knew he would be great because of all the other interviews I've seen him do. And he's really lively and he's got a great personality. Um, a lot of the other, other interviews are just about the product. But I kind of I got into this person because I was kind of intrigued by him, like what he did before this and just personality-wise. So we just talked for a long time about random stuff and it was kind of fun. <laughs> Fantastic! No, that, yeah. that that's great. Well, you know, it, it's it's a somewhat long interview, uh, <laughs> so why don't we get right to it, and uh, and we'll come back with comments once it's all finished up. So here we go. We're going to first uh, hear from Ray Chang. We're also going to hear from Neris Nasari, and then finally wrapping it all up is Ted Sim. All these individuals from Aperture, along with our very own Keith Moreau right here on our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2017 on TechMove. This is Keith Murrell here with TechMove. We've got Ray Chang, is that right? Ray Chang of Aperture. So what I've heard is that Ray is the mad genius behind Aperture, but we're going to interview him for real. So Ray, what kind of stuff here have you invented? Uh, actually, we there's no pretty new stuff, but already something already you know showed in in NAB show, and uh, but we can tell is the Tri8 already in the market now. Uh, before this in the NAB show, you know that that's only you know just announced, but now we can buy everywhere. Yes. Okay, so Ray, you were tell I was talking about so Neris. Sorry, can we can we talk about this light here? 
Okay, so this is Neris from Aperture. Hello. And tell us tell us about this light. So this is our Amaran Tri-8. It just released a few days ago, actually. Tri-8 stands for 888. There are 888 LEDs. Uh, in this in this honeycomb pattern LED, Ray designed our randomized honeycomb lights, and you can tell you a little bit about why it's not your traditional XY grid. Um, this is our bicolor version. Most uh, most bicolor lights do 32 to 5600. This light brings you from 2300 in a flame-like light, and it goes all the way up to 6800 in an ice-like light. It maintains a TLCI rating of over 97. So. It maintains a maintains a TLCI rating of over 97, so it'll keep you really, really, really color accurate, really, really bright. It's made out of bulletproof aircraft-grade aluminum. You can literally, literally drop it, beat the crap out of it, and it'll be totally fine. It has a heat sink, no fans, no heat, awesome handlebars, very, very efficient. Run and gun, it runs off of Sony MPFs or Anton Bowers or gold plate or V-mount, or you can plug it in and charge your Sony MPF batteries in the field, and it'll give you a very accurate battery readout. It's a very cool light. It's my personal favorite light of this whole system. Um, he's laughing at me. I don't care. I love this light. It's the best. I want to drop it. I want to use it as a shield when I go to war. It's the best. Um, so yeah, that's the uh, that's the Amaran Tri 8C. We sold out on our website in like five minutes. Uh, 800 products. Um, it's still coming out to vendors in a few more weeks. So, but yeah, I love this light. I like you, Ferris. Okay. So we're gonna we apparently, but apparently Ferris was not interested enough to keep Ray's attention. Okay. Neris, Neris, sorry. Okay. <laughs> he told me he told me it rhymes with Ferris, and I'm talking, calling him Ferris. Sorry, Neris. No worries. Okay, Ray, tell me, tell me about this randomized pattern. It looks like it's a mistake, but it's not, right? Yes. Uh, looks like some. You know, you can see some aperture, uh, the A. You know, oh, already a there. The, the, a there. Yes, you, if you can see. Okay. And uh, actually, we do this rendering. Uh, we are trying to prevent the multi shadow. So this is the. The, the way we, we draw, you know, by rendering, but finally we, we find that if we draw some aperture, some logo on, side, uh, on, on this surface, nothing changes. So we do this, uh, easy to remember and uh, looks nice. That's really, really cool. So tell me about some of the other Easter eggs in this. Uh, for this, from candlelight to moonlight, easy to operate because we we can do the super wide range color change, you know. So uh, I can tell you, uh, in our first appearance of you know uh, per mass per production, the 800 pieces of this sold out in five minutes. So can I get one of these now? Are they sold out? Already in the market, you can find. But you know, I, I mean, sold out is sold out to our dealers. Yeah. Okay, got it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Thank Ray. you. Thank you. Okay, Nurus, come on back. We're doing t we're doing tag team interviews here. Okay. 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 Uh, show us the net. So I want to have your uh, colleague. Yeah. Talk about that one. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna go over here. Is this it? I just said the Hey. Did you guys get a deal on the hats? No. We're <laughs> just giving them out. No, we're just hanging out. No. Everybody's wearing these hats. You know, they give them out every year, and I think they, they give them out thinking that regular people attending would get them, but then all the exhibitors want them. So, like, in the first 10 minutes, they're always gone because all the exhibitors just go to their booth and start picking them up, which I guess is probably better marketing because if you walk around, everyone's got one of those hats on. Yeah. <laughs>
They're pretty great hats, though. I gotta say. <laughs> I bet the Teradek competitors are, are not quite as cool as you guys, though. No, I don't know about that. If they're giving out free hats, I don't know. That's it's pretty cool. It's like next level swag, for sure. So, and you are Tim, right? Ted. Ted, I'm sorry, Ted. Don't worry about uh, it. So I'm this Ted is Sim. So you know. This is Ted Sim. He's oh, she's taking a. a <laughs> A selfie photo. No, she's taking a photo, <laughs> photo of you, I think. Um, so, that's Veronica over there, by the hey, way. Hey, Veronica, how are you doing? <laughs> What's your name? I'm Keith Morrow. Nice to meet you, hey, Keith. How are nice, you doing? Nice so, I've seen, so you're quite a YouTube presence. I don't know about that, but I just hang out, and uh, there's a lot of nice people that watch that are friendly, and we've been fortunate that people like our gear, so I'll leave it there. So, how long have you been with Aperture? Uh, I've been with Aperture for almost four years now, which is crazy to think about. Because uh, the company is super, super young. We're under five years old, so it really has not been around that long. Um, our first year was really, really slow. Second year was sort of slow, and then we had one NAB where things just kind of blew up. Um, it's crazy to think about because I remember the first time we came to NAB and we showed people we were a lighting company, people put their noses up and they were like, these aren't lights. And these are the same lights that nowadays people are looking back on. They're like, these were game-changing lights. So. Uh, honestly, I can't take any credit for that because it's the people that kind of have picked it up. The thing about Aperture is that we do, will never pay for traditional marketing. We're never going to pay for like banners or like magazines. Uh, I get a call from the AAC every week. They say, hey, can you pay $20,000 for a quarter ad in our magazine? And I always say no. And they say, why not? You know, Manfrotto did it. Why not? You know, these other places did it. Um, so I can't take credit for it because we didn't buy that advertising. It's just people found the gear and have talked about it. And if you're out there and you're one of those guys that did that, all I can say is thank you. I think one of the things that I've... Okay. I remember buying an Aperture product. Maybe it was like four or five years ago. And it was not a light. You really? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Aperture OG over here. That is crazy. So you bought one of the first Aperture products then. Well, I think it was Aperture. Was it, did you make little monitors and stuff too? Like teeny little... on Tiny. Like this big? So, was it called the Gigatube? I think it was the Gigatube. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You bought the first Aperture product ever made, period. Hold on, this is embarrassing, because we don't even talk about the Gigatube. I hope you realize we don't even talk about the Gigatube. That's not even a thing we talk about. I have never talked about the Gigatube ever on anything, because that's crazy. That's insane. Oh my, why did you buy that? I'm not sure why I bought it. <laughs> why did you buy it? That no, is I like think one of our first things. It is literally the first thing we ever made. You know, I think at that time, little monitors were not were really really expensive yeah and so i just needed something to make sure that that i could face it towards me and make sure that a camera was actually working that's something like that. i'm blown away right now i've never i've never had anyone go that far back in our history usually the farthest people will go back is they'll be like oh you guys used to make like flashes or you guys used to make like uh uh why am i forgetting it now time lapse remotes and like these are things that we oh yeah i have one of those too oh my you have a time lapse remote from yeah that means you bought it literally four years ago that's insane yeah I'm one of your oldest customers, but I, what I'm doing uh, now is I'm actually kind of revamping my whole lighting setup, okay. and I'm actually a cinematographer Very and a filmmaker, so this is kind of like a little interesting little uh, giving back to the people type of thing for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so what caught me uh, what caught me caught my attention about your products was just the super bright light that you're holding right there. Yes. That's what actually caught so my attention. You hadn't, so you went, you bought the Gigatube, you bought the Time Lasser remote, and then the last thing you heard was the 300D. I heard no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Such a gap. There is like a like like man, like men and myths have been like so much has changed since then. You know, I think you know what happened was I think because I bought the the Gigatube and maybe the little remote, um, I just 
that's I thought that's what you guys made. And so I said, no, I don't really need those little, those things anymore. But then I started seeing on other websites yeah. and other places that I follow, like Cheesy Cam mm -hmm. and some others. They really love your products. And the brightness, the 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 fact that it's not too expensive, a lot of your stuff's pretty pretty good deal. Yeah. And then you're coming out with this. And I'm always shooting stuff with bright backlights against windows, Absolutely. things like that. So I need a lot of light sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes I need to be able to compete with the sun. Mm -hmm. So... Tell me, I think that kind of coincides with this product a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. So, um, well, there's, there's a big, I can't believe you're talking about the Giga 2. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like, <laughs> I think I'm going to title the podcast the Giga 2 yeah, episode. I can't believe this. It's crazy. Um, okay. Well, after the Giga 2, the Giga 2 was pre me. So the Giga 2, uh, pre me, and then me and there was some, something before you me and the new product there was something before me and then me and the me and me and the new product manager came on together at the same time so the big it was kind of a big brand shift and that's and what is what is your position there at aperture uh i don't even know anymore i'm just aperture dude i kind of help with the marketing but i also help with the some research for products and it's, it's just a mix um but mostly the best thing would probably be out of us but i travel i don't know there's no there's not really a good title but what i'll say is i'll say um when we came on, there was sort of a change, and then we were going to do more video work after that. And we strictly kind of believed that the future was in cinematography, so Aperture took a hard turn in that direction. A lot of things happened in between them, but let's go right into the 300D since that was your question. The 300D, okay, so um, <laughs> there's so much history to cover. <laughs> I can't even, okay, I'm just going to pretend as if we've covered that history, and I'm going to go straight to it. By the way, do you live in LA? I do. I still live in Hollywood. I've been here for seven years now. Are, are you an actor? Uh, no, I'm not an actor. Why? No, just, you just have the personality of an actor. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. It's a good thing. We know a lot of actors. Okay, fair enough. Okay, well, if you like actors, then I'll take that as a good thing. That could, that could be a bad thing. Anyway, so, uh, so basically the 300D right here. Um, yeah, I live two blocks away from here, actually. Oh, wow. So it's really, really close. Um, single source LED. So, so long for now, we've been talking about panel lights. And panel lights are great because they're compact and portable. But the problem is that every panel light will give you a bunch of little LEDs. All of those are different sources of light. All of those make multi-shadows. The problem with that is that you don't get clean shadows out of panel lights. So, which is why up until now we've needed single source lights. Now, it's really hard to do single source lights though. Really, really difficult to pack all that LED power into one tiny space. So, here we have a single source light. And on the front of it, we've got a Bowens mount. Now the Bowens mount is really exciting because up until now, you haven't been able to use strobe accessories on film lights, and that's because tungsten lights are so freaking hot. However, with, with LED, things don't get hot anymore, and basically now you can strap on anything from soft boxes, I can take all those strobe accessories, and I can put them directly onto my continuous lights. Now that's crazy because up until now you've needed chimeras, you've needed flame retardant gear, that's $3,000, $4,000. If you're talking about Breezy, that's like $20,000. Um, our soft boxes for a 35 inch parabolic, that's $150. This right here is the 300D. It's an upgrade from our 120D, which is our uh, equivalent to about a 750 watt tungsten light. This is going to give you the output of about a 2K tungsten light. Punchy as hell. We have it out here today to show that it does compete with the sun. Um, very, very punchy aircraft-grade aluminum milled. Got that Bowens mount, so you can do essentially, if we're talking about you know a breezy or a Chimera on a 2K light, that would traditionally be like a $10,000 to $30,000 lighting setup. Right here, this is going to be under a thousand dollars. With the 150 softbox on there, we're talking a thousand one hundred, and that right there is is essentially cutting down and taking technology that was only accessible. So really, really high-end studios and giving it to all the independent filmmakers out there. That's pretty awesome. Now, what is the temperature of this light? 
Absolutely. So it's going to be a 6,000 Kelvin. So it's a daylight light. Uh, it is a little bit more blue than your traditional 56. However, uh, I want to remind people that daylight is not 56 all the time. Daylight changes. In fact, as we sit out here right now, the color temperature is changing. So um, we just put standard gels in front of that to change things, get it to tungsten or whatever we need to do? Absolutely. You can put standard gels directly on the front. Uh, this is a 7-inch reflector size, which means you can actually snap barn doors or anything you want on the front of this as well. Um, grid snoots, they'll all snip in directly into here. Uh, What's so great about the photo industry that I feel like the cinema industry has been lacking is it's, things are standardized. Seven inch size, Bowens, great, fantastic, fantastic. Okay, so this is a fantastic light. I probably am going to get one of these. Uh, the other day I was using some, uh, some other, other brand of light. It's okay, no, we like, hey, hey, hold on, <laughs> hold on. So the one thing about Aperture is that we, we started off in just like, well, we started off in the GigaTube apparently. <laughs> we don't even mention that. But here we are. Started off with one thing, um, and we've kind of expanded. Um, we It's hard because now you walk around these conventions and there's very few companies that we aren't competing with. <laughs> Our ability to make friends with these conventions has dwindled <laughs> so much. They're all saying, you guys are undercutting our profits, I think. Well, here's the thing, though, is that I think our model is actually different than most companies. So, like, we'll never really be in competition with Mole Richardson. I mean, I think they're considering us competition now. But the thing is, is that we don't rely on one studio buy to buy like 5,000 lights. We don't price for studios, you know? That's not really our market. So uh, at NAB, Disney came and they said that we want to kit out one of our studios with Aperture Lights. And we said, that's great. And they said, what's the studio pricing? And I said, well, we don't have studio pricing because we already price for the end user. Um, I mean, maybe there's like a couple percent, but there's really not much we can do. And I, we had, I had to sit down and tell Disney, you're not our market, really. And they said, well, why don't you make like $10,000 lights? What an aperture $10,000 light? What a great value. And I said, well, if it's not for indie filmmakers, we're not really interested. And, uh, you know, the people that brought us up are indie filmmakers, and we're kind of loyal to that, and we're not going to leave you guys. So you'll never see like a $10,000 aperture light. Or if you do, no, you won't. You really won't. That's just never going to happen. So let's leave it there. We could have the addition model of the aperture light with the, the gold lace, gold plated with diamond studs. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to shame. I'm not trying to shame companies out there, but you know who you are if you're out there and you're charging two thousand dollars for a titanium adapter. Okay, you know who you are, and I love you guys, and I'm very inspired by the work that you do as a company. But those are just too expensive, man. And I just, who's going to pay two thousand dollars for? A mechanical adapter. I don't know. Okay, I'm singling out people, but I don't mean to do that. Well, maybe they can be the uh, the Ted Sim edition. You know, you could sign it or something. Yeah, it'll be like it'll be like a hundred dollars for an adapter, <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone will will put their noses up to it and say because it's a hundred dollars, it can't be a real adapter. Oh, jeez. Okay, so this is all really cool. I'm probably gonna get one of these when they come out. When are they coming out? Uh, they'll be out in August. How many? How many are you actually producing? Will I be able to buy one in August? Um. Yes. <laughs> I don't, well, it's, it's production, right? It's tech, right? We're, we're pushing as quick as we can. August. You should be able to buy one in August. Okay, so that means... I'll be honest, there's always delays, but uh, we're pushing for August, and August is when we think it'll come out. So That's, that's, that's pretty great. Well, I'll be, I'll be on, your, on your list. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enter in the interview, but I'm going to keep recording because I want to ask him about some of the other back, the back story. Absolutely. All right. So... Thanks so much, Doug. You bet. Yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, this is Keith Moreau with Tech Move. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to keep recording. I want to ask you about the history stuff. Sure, absolutely. Okay, okay. so we know that Neris yep. was hired like a month ago. Yep. And in that time, he's like taken a ball peen hammer to yep. the, the front of the, uh, and probably <laughs> cracked a few of them. Stuff. 
<laughs> not yet, actually. I'm surprised, but not yet. So tell me about the history of the Aperture. I know we got uh, Ray over there, who's mm -hmm. one of the engineers. Is he like the head lead He's engineer? He's Every product, if you, lies, if you like Aperture products, they all come from his head. Did he invent the Gigatube? No. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't even... <laughs> I don't even consider that Aperture Canon, but I guess it is Aperture Canon. Um, so our CEO is actually the inventor of the Geek Tube. So is he still he your CEO? Product manager. He's still the CEO. He is. So the is he CEO? here today? No, he's not here today. He's come every year before, but uh, he, uh, he's recently had a kid, so he has a one-year-old baby that he wants to take care of and wants to stay at home as much as possible. Um, he's our CEO. He actually started the Geek Tube. Uh, he actually met Ray because uh, Ray was actually doing reviews of Aperture products, early Aperture products, and was saying, you know, uh, these aren't good enough, I think these could be better. And they met up for lunch. So Ray was going, you know this Gigatube thing, uh, I'm not so sure about this Gigatube thing. We're talking about the Gigatube, no one knows about the Gigatube. I don't even, I don't even know if I want people to, it's okay, no, you, you can know about the Gigatube, it's history. You know, it's what history. I'm gonna, you know what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna take my Gigatube out of my drawer. Oh my gosh. And I'm probably gonna have like a little, you know, rotating you know, a little product shot of that at the beginning no, of this podcast. I've actually only seen it. I've actually only seen a Gigatube once. <laughs> Me. I have only seen a Gigatube. So you have seen the Gigatube more than I have seen the Gigatube, which is crazy. Um, so, so they actually met that way and they talked about products. And, and the thing about Ray is that uh, he's, he's a crazy genius. I legitimately, I will say this without a shred of doubt in my mind. I legitimately believe that Ray is a genius on some level. He, he's on some scale somewhere there. He's insane. I, he, I don't know a single thing that I've seen this guy pick up that he's bad at. For instance, like, he's just the kind of personality where, like, he came over one time and he was like, oh, like, I bought a bow and arrow because I want to be good at archery. And then five days later, he sends me a video of him hitting bullseyes from, like, 50 yards away. And then he sends me a picture of a trophy of him placing, <laughs> placing in the top 12 of, like, a 1,000-person archery. He's like, there's nothing that he's bad at. Um, and apparently he went to, he, he used to be an instructor of fine arts, of like photography. And then he worked at Fuji for a long time as like one of their lead colorists, uh, which is why he knows color science so well. So when you see color science, again, so none of this has anything to do with lights, but this guy just being this crazy genius talent, he made these lights and started making things and he didn't have an engineering background or anything, but he just knows it and he's just a naturally curious person. And again, I know I'm talking up my coworker, but he's also my friend and we hang out and this is how it goes. So then I came on because at the time um, I was doing some commercial work. I was working as an independent producer and I was shooting for this company called Intersection Media. Uh, they're kind of a big like reality TV place. So I was just sort of an editor cutter for them and I was shooting. Uh, and at a certain point I was doing a lot of YouTube work and one of the YouTube guys that I was working for got offered this random job for Aperture. I had never heard of this company in my life, and it was new, and uh, I met with the CEO, and I met in this empty white office in the middle of nowhere, and he said, uh, you know, I have this idea for this company that just makes gear that's not so freaking expensive. And he was talking about how he thought that was a huge markup. We were, we were talking about scuba diving for some reason. We were talking about how when something is scuba diving gear, it's like 10 times the price as if it was just regular gear. So if you get like a scuba suit versus like a, a suit, you know, it's like, it was just super. So we were talking about how camera gear was the same way, and. I was in a place where I was really mad because I'm rambling a lot. You cut me off whenever, by the way. Uh, I was talking about, yeah. We're talking about just. We're talking about. I was. I was saying. I was talking about how you're good at basically everything and how okay, you shoot bow and arrows and stuff. Thank you. Did you bring your bow and arrow with you? What? Did, Did you, you bring your bow and arrow? Uh, 
It's a secret. So, so you know, here's one thing actually that's really funny. So, we went to a gun range because you know we're in America, right? So, like, so Ray comes to visit, and you know, in America, all my European friends that come to are like, we want to shoot guns in America. So, Ray comes and Ray's like, we want to shoot guns in America. So I'm like, dude, Ray, apparently I should be good at this, right? I'm the American. I don't shoot guns ever. But we go to the gun range, and Ray is incredible. He picks up like a Glock nine and he's shooting something 50 meters. Why is he good at everything? I have no idea why. In the meanwhile, I'm sitting here trying to figure out how to. I don't know. Anyways, so you're a producer, YouTube producer, doing your own shooting content. So I was doing a lot of YouTube work for a time. I was shooting for a lot of reality places. What did you shoot on? Um, I was shooting on everything, really. Uh, I was shooting on the. This is back on like the Red One was a thing. So I was shooting on the Red One a lot. Um, I, oh, I still own a Red One X sitting in my closet, um, right next to the GigaTube. <laughs> I don't own a GigaTube. I don't own a GigaTube. Um, so, <laughs> so okay. Uh, so I was shooting a lot of content at the time, but mostly I was producing a lot. Um, and at the time, I met someone that got offered this job, and he was—he's actually the friend of the of the sister of the CEO of Aperture. I know how crazy things get together. So we all met up, and we had coffee, and we talked, and we had this long thing about how we thought gear was too expensive. And I was in a place where I was kind of annoyed because I just brought—not going to say the brand name—but I had bought a bicycle handle that screws into the bottom of your DSLR and I had paid $400 for it and I was really annoyed because it was, it was a bike handle. It was a bike handle. And it was so annoying. Um, we were talking about how there was this insane markup and about he was talking about how everyone was pricing for studios and we thought there was this kind of place where no one was really selling stuff to independent people and no one was really making gear that was affordable that wasn't terrible quality, you know? Because there was a time when everyone was saying, people still say it now, buy nice or buy twice, you know? Um, Little do you know that buy nice means pay twenty thousand dollars for a softbox. So I paid. I just paid like one hundred fifty dollars for a little uh, thumb thumb screw. So of course you did. <laughs> of course you did. And uh, you know, I I remember I dropped I dropped one of my first buys was I, I paid nine thousand dollars for a Manfrotto tripod and I was like, I remember thinking like this is a good investment. And then I went to bed and I was closing my eyes and I just woke up and I was like, what kind of moron spends nine thousand dollars on a tripod? What? What kind of moron pays for this? Anyways. Uh, so we started off small and I just remember we would go to these conventions and we were putting in a lot of work. Uh, Ian showed up, who's the CEO, and he kind of just left the keys and he just left and was like, uh, if this is your company, what would you do? So we just started off and we started doing some social media stuff and we had these products that, honestly, I tried them and I thought they were really good. They were the Amaranth, the early Amaranth, the 528s. Um, but everyone I showed them to would kind of put their noses up and they were like, this is not a real thing. This is not real lighting. Um, and I was talking to people and I would talk to YouTubers because we, we, we had a zero dollar marketing budget. And I would talk to these people and I'd say, hey, like, would you please, hey guys, one second. Uh, so we would talk to these. Come on around, come on around. Yeah, totally good. So I, I remember talking to early creators at the time and saying, like, can you try these out? Um, and again, I can't take credit for this because it's really the YouTube people that kind of grabbed onto it. And there's a couple, like, early, it's like Cheesy Cam, people like Andy X, people like early people that just grabbed it and they were the first people that didn't put their nose up to the gear and they said, yeah, we'll try this, this sounds fun. So I sent them some lights and they would talk about it and they really liked it in the same way that I really liked it. Um, and then from then it was just word of mouth and honestly it's the YouTube space that sort of made us anything. Um, and from that we got, we got some profits and from those profits they went straight back into R&D and we could actually make better lights. So you saw our Amarans were plastics to the Gigatube. <laughs> you see, there's a, we were taking that money and putting it right back into R&D and we started working on bigger lights, aluminum lights, the light storms, the LS1S, and that really put us on the map. Um, for sure. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing a little video. <laughs> no worries, don't worry about it. Um, for sure. So, 
from then it just got it's just got bigger and it's I got to say these past three years of Aperture have been insane. I, I'll be honest, when I first started working, uh, I actually said I was only going to be here for a year. And I said I was going to leave. And I said NAB was going to be my last day. And at that NAB, things blew up. We had a, I won't say names, but we had a bid to get, at our first NAB, we had a bid to get bought out by a major company that's here, a big tent here. Um, that was insane. And all of a sudden, we had to have this regrouping meeting where what were we going to do? And um, we wanted to stay our own brand and keep doing stuff. And we still thought that, you know, if we did get bought out, we would just be like every other company that, you know, the thing about the big tents here is that they buy other people's stuff and they just put their logos on it. Um, and if we had gotten bought out, it would have been the same thing. Um, so right now the goal for Aperture is that we want to spread and I think we get a lot of funny faces because we're doing sound stuff now. And people are saying, why is Aperture doing sound? And the goal is that we want to be able to be bigger, like one of the companies, like an umbrella company. And we want to have smaller, because it's a totally different R&D team. I mean, the sound people are not the same engineers working on our light stuff. You know, they're different. Um, we want to be able to just do affordable gear for everyone uh, and price it for the indie shooters, not for studio people. Um, I don't know. That's the goal. That's the goal. We're just trying to do stuff. If you guys are watching the educational stuff, thanks for watching that too. Uh, I would love if Aperture was just like a, a big filmmaking resource and if it was just kind of an umbrella company for affordable real gear that everyone can afford. You know, I think I could probably talk with Ted for another three or four hours. He's just a fount of information and knowledge and stories. I actually, if I had more time, I'd probably talk to him about what kind of gear he uses now, if he still does filmmaking, if he, uh, like, what's his favorite favorite take around <laughs> camera, all these things. He wants to answer, I know. He's like I going, do. he's going, I Actually, this is really fun. I've never <laughs> told these stories, actually, so this is, uh, it's fun to tell the history of Aperture, because most people just talk about the gear, you know? Well, we try to be uh, a little more in-depth. Yeah. That's that's our style. Yeah. So we really appreciate your time, Ted. For sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> this is Keith Moreau here signing off for Tech News. Well, that's the folks from Aperture. That's Ray Chang, Neris Nasari, and Ted Sim. And, uh, of course, our very own Keith Moreau uh, mm -hmm. right here on our uh, continuing coverage of Cinegear 2017. Uh Hey, Keith, uh, Aperture, they have some pr pretty nice stuff. I mean, I'm on the website right now, and yeah. plenty of gear there. I, 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 do, I do find that Tri-8 uh, light to be a very interesting pattern. I'd like your comments on that. So actually, that was something that I kind of kind of bugged me about their lights and i didn't really know why they're the pattern and the lights the kind of random yeah because normally you see like with the most lcds you just see the grid of very even grid of lcds all in a row nicely lined up like little soldiers <laughs> right. and they're in the in the randomness of the uh of the aperture uh leds was disturbing to me and i told them that <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, it is awfully random in, in its placement. At least that's the way it seems. Yeah, and actually that's by design. The The guy Ray Chang, who's the who's the kind of the mad genius, um, thought of that. He thought, well, you know, one of, the, one of the, the issues we have with grids of LEDs is that they make these really even uh, noticeable patterns on people. When, when you don't have a, like a lot of diffusion on them. Mm -hmm. So if you just had the bare light shining on somebody, if you look, they have like little micro shadows in different, and they're all very hard little micro shadows, but they're kind of in this even pattern. And that even pattern is easier for our eyes to see in the shadow. The shadows of these even patterns right. is easier for our eyes to see than uh, shadows of random patterns. So 
he it's basically randomized randomized and they and i asked him how he randomized it <laughs> and let, like, what, let, what, let me guess what? he 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 got a piece of butcher block paper threw some paint uh, splatter <laughs> at it and said you know what that's the design we're going with it's pretty close to that he yeah. just said i think he he had a piece of paper and he just kind of randomly made dots <laughs> and and <laughs> And then he said, but then he had this other idea of well, why don't we see if we can put a little pattern of the the Aperture logo in there, the A for Aperture. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I see so it there. You, yeah, yeah. So if you kind of squint your eyes yes. and then look look away and look back, you can see the A in the middle there. Right. And so yeah, but don't it's, do that too much, or you might go blind. It's like but, looking for the bird in that uh, interpretive <laughs> yes. painting, right? It's like looking yes. for the bird. Yeah, look, I see yes. it. Yeah, it's kind of like that. So this is these these are the little Easter eggs that go that go on uh, behind uh, the aperture mines. Uh, there was also another Easter egg. Um, apparently, the where these things are made, or one of the factories where these things are made, is there's a there's an imprint of the of the actual factory uh, coordinates somewhere on the somewhere <laughs> in there, so, somewhere in the case or something like that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So they gave me all these little Easter egg things to to look at. So they were kind of proud of that. Very nice. So yeah. So that was the little interview with Ray and and uh, <clears throat> and then and then the but the big interview was was mostly with 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 Ted. Yeah, we could tell. Yeah, and so we just talked about all these things and and I said, you know, I just honestly didn't I I didn't pay too much attention to Aperture because I just kind of in my mind just kind of discounted it because I I actually got an Aperture product a long time ago. Mm-hmm. He said, what? What did you get? And I said, I got the gig tube. And he said, you got the gig tube. And we talked a long, a long time about the gig tube. And it kind of we come back to it several times <laughs> in the interview. But if you look it up, so the gig tube was kind of cool because it wasn't that expensive. I think it was in its day it was like $100 or $150 bucks or something. Right. This was a long time ago. This might have been like 10 years ago. Okay. But back then, um, all kind of... The only like little monitors that were somewhat uh, affordable were either like DVD players that you could kind of have an uh, an input like a like a lot, uh, like a video input, one of those composite video inputs. So you could get it. You can get a DVD player, and sometimes they had little inputs. Yeah. So I would use those as monitors, right? Because you couldn't really get small monitors for too for too cheap. I mean, you could get like a <clears throat> like some of those really high-end ones but spent a couple thousand dollars on them and they weren't even that good. Or you could convert something else that wasn't really meant to be a camera monitor uh, to a monitor. So this Aperture was one of the first t- small uh, little monitors that you could kind of attach to your camera. And it also was a remote and it and it attached to the uh, the uh, AV outputs of your, you know, those special, they had these special kind of like, eighth-inch stereo connectors, but they were actually AV outputs on a lot of gear. Yep, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. so it had one of those plugs, and you could plug it in, and it had a little kind of rotatable screen. So it's kind of like a, for selfies or for, for having something uh, where you, you weren't right behind the camera, because back in those days, there were no flip-out LCDs that could swivel. And in fact, a lot of the Canons are still like that, a lot of the high-end Canons. They just have this flat back. So if you want to see what's going on on the camera, you can't really unless you're behind the camera. So if you're to the side of the camera, in front of the camera, you can't tell what's going on. So I, I that, would say, you know, looking at a picture of this, this is essentially just the first affordable uh, 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 small monitor, onboard monitor that you could buy. Yeah, 
Yeah, it was like a movable, teeny little monitor. Two and a half inches. That's pretty small in comparison to what we've got nowadays, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I used it a bit. I used it a bit for little monitoring situations where I needed to be like two or three camera situations where I, where I really needed to see what was going on on that other monitor. Mm. It was a little far away. So, But I didn't use it a whole lot. But but uh, that was like one of Aperture's first products. <laughs> and I think it, they wanted to forget about it. <laughs> but I wouldn't let them. I wouldn't let Ted forget about it. Uh, that's great. That's <laughs> it actually, great. That actually came out before Ted got on board. So, um, so it was more of a historical thing for him, but it's legendary apparently. <laughs> do, do, do you think they sold a lot of those gig tubes? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean it's mean, still available, which is kind of amazing right now. It's, it, it looks like it's still available for about 50 bucks. <laughs> That's pretty Yeah. I, I'd sell mine for 40. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's in some drawer somewhere. Right. but uh yeah so that's the famous or infamous gig tube and then um but the main things that they're doing now is just amazing affordable well somewhat affordable led lights the one light that i was super excited about was the the ls300 which is like a 2k uh single spot led light so it's kind of taking the place of a 2k uh fixture but it's LED, so it's got much lower power requirements. You know, it's like 300 watts or something like that, and it's got it's super bright, super accurate. It's got a Bones mount, which is a really industry standard kind of bayonet type mount that you can mount others. There's a lot of things that are designed for with this bayonet mount, and so you can just, just re- really easily just attach it to different things, and it's fairly small and and lightweight and not too not too hot which is one of the issues. Like, I don't know if you ever experienced a 2K light, but it's just like... You, you can know, fry you would, an egg on the top of it uh, after, can, after about a half hour, right? Yeah, you have, to, you have to let them cool down. They're super hot. You can't really touch them with your fingers. You have to touch them with... with um, if you want to touch the bulb, you have to touch it with, like, tissue paper. Like, you can't put grease on the bulb or it'll just, like, fry the... Oh, it's one of those. Uh, yeah. yeah. One of those. Yeah, but now now with these LEDs, they're much lower power. You don't have to have a special circuit to run them in a, in, if you're doing like a residential shoot or something. And yeah, so and this is like the most powerful and fairly inexpensive um, light of this category to come out. So, now, correct me if I'm wrong. That is not out yet. It's not out yet. And when I asked Ted about it, he just said it's it's due to come out in August. And I said, really? He said, ah, uh, you know, you never know, but. We're we're saying it's going to be August, so we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. It's not August yet, as as of this recording, but we're we're close. And and, and that's the LSC three hundred. You said. Um, I think it's called the COB three hundred D. Oh, COB three hundred. Okay. Yeah, three hundred. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but All that's right. a nice light. It's it's not it's not tiny. It's yeah. not small. Um, it's going to be less than a thousand dollars, but for that kind of light, that's a really good deal. Um, uh, it's, it's small, it's relatively small for what it does though. And, and simple to set up. You don't, it's just got a couple little, um, well, fairly large power warts Mm -hmm. and you can attach batteries to them if you want. You can put V-mount batteries on them if you want a portable setup. So normally, like normally you'd have to have a generator for this type of light, but now you can actually have, you can power this thing with batteries, this type of light. That's That's awesome. Yeah, so I think it's revolutionary. Hopefully, they can come out with it soon, and I, I probably will get one because, it, you know, having a nice bright light like that in your arsenal that's simple, 
um, and fairly compact is, is pretty cool. And that's the thing I was going to ask. Can you get away with one or do you need two of them? I'd probably just get one for now. That'll be like the like a big key light and you can just bounce it and do all kinds of stuff with it because it's so bright. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably get a Bowens mount um, softbox fart. Um, you know, there's a couple of Bowens. Like um, Aperture has one, but it's, a little, it's not that big. Um, I might get um, something like a Westcott Bowens mount uh, type of fixture. Um, and there's a few others. So, you know, so we'll, when it comes out, I'll, I'll see what, I'll see what my budget is, but I think I am going to get one. That sounds great. No, that yeah. I, 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 and light, n- nice, uh, electronics inside they're, they're really promoting how it's, you know, uh, super quiet and, and great, you know, temperature control and all this kind of stuff on it. So it looks like a very yeah. interesting unit. Yeah. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. Oh, look at this. It's only weighs has a weight of one point six kilograms, which is less the weight of a thirteen inch MacBook Pro. That's pretty light. Yeah. It's it's pretty light. It's well you know, it's I'm not... sorry, I'm sorry. I'm reading the C O B one twenty. So oh, yeah. maybe may, it'll be a little bit heavier than that, but yeah. probably pretty yeah. darn close. Yeah. Probably it's, pretty it's darn a, close. It's a little bit bigger than the one twenty. Yep. But uh I probably get this over the 120, just because when I get something more versatile brighter. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, brighter's better. You know, you know when when you dim things like that, just to kind mm-hmm. of dial it in. You know, a lot of these lights they used to make a lot of noise, right? A lot of humming noise and stuff like that. I'm gonna yeah. guess not the case with these types of things. No, these are just totally silent, and yeah, and they're also pretty stable when you dim them. Like right. a lot of lights, when you dim, they actually change color. Right. Uh, Correct. Lights, or they so. flicker. Yeah, or they could flicker, and the dimmers can make a lot of noise, and also a lot of RF if you're using wireless transmitters and stuff. Yeah, so it's just this is way better. Cool yeah. beans, cool yeah. beans. Well, uh, that is Aperture at Aperture.com, and uh, mm-hmm. again, we'll thank very much Ray Chang, Neris uh, Nasari, and Ted Sim, uh, that whole crew out there. Uh, thank you very much for, for all, all that uh, great information they were able to provide and all the time that uh, you gave to Keith. Keith, uh, you know, you did another uh, great interview there. So thank you very thanks. much. Thanks, Rod. All right. Fantastic. We'll uh, take a quick break. We'll come right back with more of this Cinegear 2017 coverage right here on Tech Move. All right. You know, I cannot believe, Keith, that we've reached the end of another Cinegear Expo show. I mean, uh, it it just seems like a few weeks ago we had recorded our last Cinegear show. Uh, (laughs) And and you know what? In reality, maybe it was. But nonetheless, uh, Cinegear Expo 2017 in the books and uh, let you know as we close out the show. Um, let me get your overall kind of summary of what you got out of the thing. What did you like? What did you didn't like? And all this kind of good stuff. Mm, you didn't like well, anything. Think, you didn't I like don't anything. think I. I don't think I disliked anything. Was it it's pretty just, cool? Was it? What, what, it's what, what, it's, what, what, it's it really cool. You should. You should go one okay. time. Yeah. You should come. You should come down and just check it out. I think it'll be just. It'll be like being in a, I don't know, being like being like at Home Depot. It's better than being at Home Depot. 
I, I'm sure it would be, but they don't. <laughs> they, but they don't pay me enough to go down there. So uh, I, I need appearance fees, and I need a, a, a separate table to sell my eight by ten glossies. So we can um, arrange that. You can arrange that. No, but uh, but uh, uh, it sounds like a great show. I mean, you know, the the interviews we got, uh, pretty pretty exciting. Yeah, pretty good stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do even more next year. I'm going to try to get there a little bit earlier and leave a little bit later. I'm going to get there earlier on the first day. I planned too many other social activities that night and it was just like I had to rush. But, um, but it's, it's, uh, it's just really cool to be kind of, kind of see all this neat cinematography stuff and, and, uh, also just kind of brush elbows with a lot of the Hollywood cinematographers too, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of them there and, and, that part is is one of the coolest things too, and just you know seeing here here's the, but here's the the main takeaway just as far as what I got out of the show two exciting cameras, two really excited exciting kind of revolutionary in a way yep. cameras in different ways yep um the the C two hundred wow you know if I just had like like if I was independently wealthy I would just get <laughs> which it. you are which you are. Yeah, but even wealthier. If I was even wealthier right. than I am now, yes, no, not really. But <laughs> if I was, if I had an extra seventy five hundred dollars, that wasn't allotted for something you know essential, like living expenses, living. Oh yeah, not that, but you know other things like you know lighting gear or something like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The aperture, uh, super bright light. Right. Um, no, but it would be. So here's the thing: is though when, when something's like kind of that expensive, like $7,500, dollars It's not, you know, it's not something that you can just kind of like take out of your pocket and spend. Right. And each of those cameras has, well, we don't know what the Panasonic camera is going to be like. With on paper, it looks really, really good. Yeah. But but we know that the C two hundred is probably going to be really, really good in its way. In its way, it could have a lot more in it, and it would just be like a no brainer. Yes, I'm going to give you my seventy five hundred. But they purposely cripple it to make it not as appealing. For whatever reason, are, are are you seeing that just because of price? Um, no, just features. You th- features. Oh, okay, all right. You know, they purposely they purposely made the C two hundred worse in a couple ways than the C three hundred Mark II, mm. even though it. I think from a technical like processing and whatever technologies in it, it can do those things. Right. But they're hobbling it because they don't want it to impact the sales of this more expensive camera. Just the like purposely. the just like just like our old uh, GH one, right? Where it had all this potential until you hacked it, and, and then it unlocks everything. Yeah, it's it's kind of like that. But I I think Panasonic didn't like hobble the GH one like on purpose. I think they just yeah wanted to go with industry standards, and they didn't want to do Correct. weird stuff with it. Correct. But but the problem is with cam with, with with companies that have all these different cameras at different price points. They sometimes the like the the lower camera is more is more um, technologically advanced because it's just newer. Like they've advanced, the chips are better and different things that they're doing. The camera are better. They can't make they can't unlock the potential of that camera. It'll just destroy their upper end cameras. This happens with all the manufacturers. They're you know because things that are newer are usually a little bit better. They're more efficient. You know they're faster. Yep. Um, whatever. Um, so that part kind of bugs me because just like if they just made the C200 have um, fast access SDHC cards like SDHC slots like the like the uh, Panasonic uh, Evo One, mm-hmm. 
it would be like a no no brainer. Like just and then have all the the high you know the 400 megabit codec onto those SD card slots like the Evo one. No brainer. I'm getting I'm putting down the 7500 right now, and you would have so many people buying that camera. And the right. Evo Evo one would just be like a memory. Like you before would, it even would, comes out. <laughs> yeah, you nobody would even buy that camera. Uh huh. No no offense, Panasonic, but right. nobody would buy that camera. They would get the Canon. Right. Because the Canon's like this proven technology and they're really good cameras. Yep. And and they're solid and they look good. Um and when you bring one on set, people go, Wow, you know. But people aren't gonna necessarily say the same thing if you bring the Evo one on the set, even though it might be a really superb camera. Anyway, right. on and then the autofocus for one man band, the C two hundred's awesome. You know, mm-hmm. that getting with a with a large sensor camera nailing focus is not easy. And this can nail focus and track it so well. Um, way better than any other cinema camera out there. Like way better. Um, and you're not going to have that from the Evo One. So that's, you know, another thing. But Evo One has some has some good points too. It could also have a really superb image. It's possible. So we'll have to wait and see. But takeaway from that show two superb cameras that are going to change the industry. And they're really going to battle it out for, for the next few months here, aren't they? I mean, it's really going to be, it's really going to cause a lot of folks like yourself to really have to consider, you know, once it gets out there in the wild and people start using it and we get to see some of that footage, I I wouldn't be surprised if you're in, in our upcoming episodes, you're going to talk about how you're having one or the other. Yeah, it's definitely a consideration. I mean, the C200 now makes sense in a lot of ways as a FS5 replacement. But you know what? I have a feeling that Sony's going to release an FS5 too, mm-hmm. or they're going to up, update it in, in, in ways, probably an FS5 too. I have a feeling they're going to do that because they just lowered the price on the FS5 and the FS7. And and I feel that that's an anticipate. Usually companies will lower the prices dramatically in anticipation of a release, but they won't say they're releasing something. Right. So that's happening too. So maybe there's going to be an FS5 that has better low light, that has a nicer nicer image than the current one, but has all the amazing conveniences that the FS5 has now, like maybe a higher higher um, internal codec, something that does 10-bit internally, something that does 42 color internally on the 4K. You know, maybe that's coming out too. So maybe we'll have another a third player in this space. But but basically right now. The the Canon's going to come out in August sometime hopefully. The Evo One's probably not going to come out till like November. So mm. there's like a three month gap. But a lot of people are not going to buy the Canon until the Evo comes out and gets tested. Oh, that'll be very, not, yeah, it'll be very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So Canon is probably going darn, you know, darn, darn that Panasonic because <laughs> a lot of people are just going to hold off. Right. You know, probably me. I mean, I was when the, when I saw the C200 before I saw the Evo and thought about the Evo. I was saying, I, I think I have to have this camera. Mm-hmm. But now that I see in the Eve, I'm saying, yeah, I think I could wait a few months. Yeah. To see, to see. So there's, if I'm thinking this way, I'm, I would imagine lots of people are. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's true. That's yeah, true. So we'll, maybe by the next episode or the following ones, we'll we'll talk more about that. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, that's great. We, you know, of course, want to again uh, thank all of our our, our guests like uh, uh, Mitch Gross and. Uh, uh, Alex Sachs and Ray Chang, Neris Nasari and Ted Sim, uh, all those folks from you know Panasonic and uh, and Canon and Aperture. 
Thank you very much for uh, for all that uh, time that you spent with us. And Keith, I want to thank you very much for uh, suffering and going out uh, onto the field to uh, get our content that we so desperately need rather than just you and I droning, droning on, on and on like we usually do. But thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. You're welcome, Rod. My yeah. Pleasure. Fantastic. Uh, well, let's do this. Hey, uh, a little bit of housekeeping. Let's make sure that, remember, folks, you can always reach us on our website, which is techmovepodcast.com. And uh, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search for Tech Move. We're on Facebook, Tech Move Podcast, Twitter, at Tech Move Podcast. And a couple of ways you can listen to us. So you can listen to us on Stitcher. You can listen to us on Player FM. And uh, we still doing that uh, Patreon uh, thing, yeah. Keith? Yeah. Yes, talk talk about pa- that real quick. Yeah, Patreon's a way to support Tech Move without having to buy stuff at Amazon or do other stuff, like uh, just send us envelopes of money randomly. <laughs> right. um, but you can, you can go to patreon.com slash techmove, and you will find – I think I'm going to just go there now and see what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, if I can actually type in the, the bar properly. You go to patreon.com slash techmove podcast. Tech podcast, yep. And then you will find our page. And awesome. you can become you can click the become a patron button. And then if you click that, then you could choose what you want to uh, how much you want to contribute. You can contribute starting at a dollar per month, or you can go to like I'm just gonna put a thousand dollars in. Excellent. Just for now. That's good. And I mean, you just put your name in. You could yeah. sign up with Facebook or you could sign up with your email. You agree to the terms of the use, which just click that. And then click I'm not a robot. And then you can either sign up if you're not a new member or you can log in if you're a current member. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, I think start start with 1,000. Yeah. <laughs> Right, just start with a thousand right, right. per month. Whatever you know. zeros your uh, your index <laughs> finger just taps in there on the keyboard. Uh, let's also not forget uh, their way of to uh, the folks listening on how to support us through Amazon. I think you can do uh, techmovepodcast.com slash Amazon. Yep, and uh, you could do all your regular shopping through Amazon, and we get a couple of sh- uh, uh, shekels. Uh, through that way, uh, when when you uh, click through us, yeah, so, and shekel, uh, yeah, shekel is also a thousand dollars. Those yes. are worth each shekel is worth a thousand, so. especially if they're made of real <laughs> gold. So thank you very much, fantastic, <laughs> Keith. Thank you very much. Uh, You're welcome, Rod. Th- that concludes uh, this 2017 show of Sinigir 2017. I've said that 50 million times. <laughs> But I'm exhausted with Cinegear, and I look forward to the next show, whichever that will be. IBC. Anyway, who? IBC. IBC. IBC in Europe. In Europe. That's yeah. that's a big one. Okay, mid September. Uh, mid September. We we will be uh, Tech Move will be uh, live and in color uh, there, and uh, that will be fantastic. So we'll bring you another uh, stirring uh, on location show. Uh, for IBC. But uh, hey, until then, I have been Rod Louie, and with me is the one and only great Keith Moreau, and uh, we want to thank you all so much for listening to us, and we will see you next time on the very next episode of Tech Move. See you later, everybody. Bye.